Xbox on. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox, of course. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 10th, 2021, including Halo Infinite is officially out now, campaign and all. Tons of new announcements were made at the 2021 Game Awards. Uh, why are you listening to this podcast right now when there are banished out there that need shooting, you stupid idiot, and more? All right, as you may have noticed, a little bit different of an intro this week. Of course, we got to do something a little, a little special to celebrate Halo Infinite's final and ultimate release. This is, this is, yeah, this is. If this were Dragon Ball Z, this would be the ultimate form. We know Halo Infinite has launched in many states. We've gotten betas, we've gotten test flights, we've gotten uh, multiplayer only, but now it is the ultimate form. That's right, we got a whole goddamn story to explore, and uh, I've already beaten it. I took the week off work, I already beat the whole campaign, and don't regret a thing. It was fucking awesome, but we'll get into that in a little bit. First of all, I just want to say a little bit of a crazy week this week, and that obviously, first of all, you might be thinking, Jesse, it's Friday. Why am I getting Xbox on now? Well, if you remember last week, if you're a good listener, if you're an A-plus student, you would know. I told you this week's episode would be delayed by a day and change because we got to accommodate the Game Awards, which is the other huge thing that happened this week with tons of announcements, which we will also get into. So I want to just point out that this week's episode, you know, start with this. It's going to be a little different format-wise. We're going to get into some Halo Infinite impressions, go over the Game awards then go into comments and do other news there's a lot of information to get through this is a very beefy week there are a lot of stories that normally would have made the show that i kind of left out because it's just you know we i'm not doing a five-hour show okay we're gonna try, i'm gonna try to keep it to the three-hour mark at most so we'll, we'll try to get through it all but just a heads up a little bit of a different format lots to get through um so it should be a good week if i sound a little more chipper than usual it's because for the first time in like two years i'm actually recording the podcast on a friday morning i woke up early went for a run i'm drinking my uh iced coffee in my uh, Rainforest Cafe glass here, so I've got a lot more energy than I normally do. I'm not coming home from work in an hour and a half of traffic to record the show, so it's just a little bit of a different energy. Plus, we've got some new Halo, so I'm very, very excited about that. So first thing I want to say before we jump into the Halo Infinite stuff, guys, is I want to say thank you so much for all of you who tweeted, messaged me on Instagram, whatever, reached out to me in any way to let me know about your Spotify rap. I really appreciate those shout-outs. I know Obviously, if you're a human being who exists with internet connection, you have been inundated with everyone's Spotify rap, uh, uh, whatever it is, rankings or whatever, this this past week and a half of just people like, oh, look at my top favorite artists of the, of the year. Look at my favorite genres of the year. Look how many minutes I spent listening to music. It's like, wow, I'm so glad I now know that you love Doja Cat enough to listen to 4,683 minutes of it in, in a goddamn calendar year. Congrats for you. But no, I really do want to just say thank you so much. A, a surprising number of you guys reached out to just be like, hey, look, Xbox On was like my number one podcast listened to or in my top three or five podcasts listen to. And that's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. And, you know, in my, in, in my Twitter feed, when I'm seeing people like, oh, look, my favorite podcast of the year was uh, Car Talk or fucking 
kind of funny games or whatever it is people listen to, you know, and then see people also like, yeah, my favorite, the podcast I listened to the most was Xbox on. I'm like, that's, that makes you a psych, psychotic person, but thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate that. That, that brought a lot of warmth to my heart, a big smile on my face. So genuine thank you there. Redo Vandal wrote in said Spotify rap told me that Xbox on is my top listen podcast listening by 46 episodes for a grand total of 4,064 minutes. Suck it Doja cat, but those numbers are weak. Well, gotta listen more. So thank you, Redo, so much. I appreciate you and everyone for the shout out and the support. It, it really, trust me. There are days where I'm just like, fuck, <laughs> why do I do this shit? And then, and then you guys say nice things. I'm like, God damn, that's, that's rewarding. So I, I, I always appreciate the, uh, the affirmation. Now, who gives a shit about Spotify? Spotify, there will be no Spotify if we don't do something about the banished. And that's why we need to quickly steer into Halo territory. Guys, Halo Infinite is out. It came out Wednesday I feel like this podcast can kind of retire now because we've spent two and a half years like, yeah, yeah, it's an Xbox podcast. When's Halo out? And I mean, I know it was a big deal. Like last month, the multiplayer surprise launch. And don't get me wrong. Everyone loves Halo multiplayer. It's probably the aspect of Halo that gets played the most. It's probably the aspect of Halo that has the most longevity for obvious reasons. You know, so I get that. And, and there's no doubt that I will put more time into Halo Infinite's multiplayer suite than I will its campaign when all is said and done. But... To me, as, for as much as I love the campaign and the multiplayer, the campaign is my favorite part of any Halo game because I love the story, I love the characters, I love where they're taking the universe. I, I want more of that. I want to know what's happening in in this in this world of Halo. So this, to me, this is this is the proper launch for Halo. This is the big one. Is is knowing that the campaign is out. And like I said, I took off this week from work, or or at least Wednesday onward for this week, and uh, I don't regret a thing. On Wednesday, I from the moment the game was downloaded and ready to launch, I played it for 12 hours straight. I stopped for one moment and it was to eat pizza. Uh, I, I'm usually the kind of cheap asshole who will never get pizza delivered. I will always drive out of my way to pick up the pizza because I'm not paying a delivery fee, fee. That's bullshit. I'm not wasting more money on fast food pizza. For Halo, I made such a special exception. I busted out a nice can of 2020 Voodoo, Mountain Dew Voodoo. Uh, you know, I got that out of the cellar. Um, I, I, I paid the extra delivery fee to have the pizza brought to me because I could not pull myself away from Halo. I went all out and spent 12 hours straight playing Halo Infinite until 3.30 in the morning. And then I went to bed for like five hours, maybe four or five hours, and just went straight back and played another four or five hours until I beat the game. It was incredibly, uh, it was incredibly fun. I, not a single second of the, this is this is the first thing I want to say because you're gonna see every in every impression and review you consume by Halo Infinite you're gonna see takes on the story takes on the gameplay and I should clarify we're not talking spoilers at all today we're we'll do a spoiler cast probably next week I'll attach it to the very end of the show because I don't want to ruin this for anyone but I'm just talking impressions and you'll see so many so many reviews so many impressions talking about this is the story was it good or bad this is the gameplay is it good or bad let me just say this because at the end of the day nothing is more important with a video game than did I enjoy playing it? Was it fun? Video games are meant to be fun and entertaining and immersive. And I'll, I'll just say this, regardless of what you think about Halo Infinite, what the media thinks about Halo Infinite, whatever the consensus ends up being, if this is another Halo 5, or maybe it's the next Halo 3, who knows? All I want to say is, I played Halo Infinite for 12 hours straight, took a, took a nap essentially, and then went back and played the rest of the game for 4 or 5 hours. And not a single second of my playthrough, I played it on normal, not a single second of that 15-ish hour playthrough, was I ever bored? 
Was I ever tired of playing? Was I ever like, this is redundant, this is stupid, this is a little derivative? Was I ever like, oh my god, okay, move on, I'm done with this part? I was completely and fully engaged with the gameplay and the narrative from start to finish. And I can say that about so few games. That's, I mean, obviously, it's like, well, Jesse, you're a Halo nut. Of course, you probably felt that way. So, yeah, of course, that is something important to take into consideration. But it is hard, especially in a world where every video game is trying to be open world. Every video game is trying to be as long as possible. Every video game is trying to cram as much content in there to keep you occupied, to keep you invested in that game for as long as humanly possible. In a world where that is the norm, it is very difficult to find a game that is completely engaging, completely fun, completely enjoyable from start to finish. And Halo Infinite did not, the excitement and the fun did not waver for a single second during my 15 hours spent with the campaign. And I think that is worth saying something. You know, that, that's worth saying. That's worth mentioning. Man, I, yeah, so I, I, I know, so generally, I'll, I'll, so I'll just go over some general impressions. I have no real format for how I want to talk about this. I solicited some questions from you guys on Twitter. I've got a couple of them embedded here. I might save a couple for next week when we talk spoilers. And I have some things I just jotted down. But let's just kind of meander about and spend 15, 20 minutes just talking about overall impressions of Halo Infinite's campaign. So let's see. Let's just read something and kind of use as a launching point. Cranky Old Man in Training says, Halo Infinite will be the first game I ever book a day off work to play. I'm off Thursday so I can stay up late Wednesday night and all day Thursday. Same as me. So look, I'm not crazy. That That's just to justify myself. That's not an impression of the game. Let's see. OMG Baxter says, The combat and gunplay feel amazing. The open world and grapple hook are really fun. I think they could have done with possibly a smaller map. Is that a weird take? Sometimes I can go 30, 40 minutes without doing anything quote-unquote fun, but that still might be my favorite Halo behind combat evolved. Maybe I'm just exploring too much and getting lost trying to find the limits of the map. Grapple hook is too fun. I get distracted easily lol then i have to fast travel back to base okay let's just start with this let's talk about the grappling the grapple hook mechanic in the open world a little bit because right that's the big thing with halo infinite and that's that's a good idea because the opening is very very linear and very story focused and we'll save that for next week although god damn this game has a good opening so mm. all right so i was talking to my brother about this and my general take is like the grapple hook in halo i didn't realize it was going to be such an important part of the game but it is a the grapple hook is just as important as the original trifecta of guns, grenades, and jump to where now it's like you got to have the grapple hook. It's just an essential component, especially of the campaign. And when you're using it to traverse around the open world, it feels like Spider-Man. And this is a huge plus because most open world games are kind of fucking boring, like Far Cry and Grand Theft Auto on these games. Say what you want about them. They're great games. Listen, I like these games just fine. I love Far Cry. But they can sometimes be very, very boring where you finish it, you finish it a quest or or a campaign story mission whatever and then your next objective is to travel all the way to the other end of the map to talk to the next dumbass who's going to give you your next objective and it's like i get that it's like the point is i'm supposed to kind of get lost i'm not supposed to just go from story mission to story mission and do nothing else you want me to explore you want me to take my time you want me to get lost you want me to see other things to do and play with in the in the sandbox i get that but very few open world games do i get to a point where it's like i'm in hour eight i'm in hour 12 of the game and i'm just taking my time exploring the open world going slow because a lot of times it's like it's fucking boring to move around maybe if i get a vehicle it's a little faster maybe if i can fast travel it's a little easier but there are a few games and the best example is 2018's ps4 exclusive spider-man where it's like fuck fast travel fuck points of interest fuck other things to do on the map i just want to i just want to navigate this world it's fun sunset overdrive same developer insomniac they have a very good approach to this where it's like they make the act of moving and playing around in this world so fun that you don't want to use fast travel. I think that is an amazing feat. For me personally, I thought the grapple hook made Halo feel like Spider-Man. 
where it's just like, yeah, I could fast travel to this base, but I'd rather just jump around and grapple hook to that tree and swing off and grapple hook to that rock and swing up the cliff and then grapple hook onto that building. And if you upgrade your grapple hook enough to where it regenerates really, really fast, that's kind of how you can play the game. I focused all my un uh, my upgrade attributes immediately on the grappling hook. And I don't regret it at all because it is so fun when you just have like endless grapple hook available to just swing webs like Spider-Man. And it is exactly like that. It is Halo Spider-Man and it's so much fun. So to me, I actually found the open, open world to be a little unnecessary. Personally, I, I like Halo being a linear experience, but I found it to be not too open, which is a huge plus for me. And I found with, with the grapple hook and the gameplay loop of just the combat being so fun and the swinging around being so fun that I never got bored traveling around the map. I never got to like a, oh, I got to go all the way over here thing. So I think that's a huge plus. There's only one mission in the game where you had to take out like these multiple um, towers where I was like, all these objectives are a little further apart from each other than I like. But other than that, going mission to mission, playing in a level that was within the open world, I never felt like, oh my god, it's just so much traveling and empty sandbox with nothing to do. So that is a huge plus. That is one of my huge gripes of Zelda Breath of the Wild, is I feel like that world is very beautiful, very empty, very dull, and there's nothing to do in it. Um, I know that was everyone's concern about Zelda Breath of the Wild, and then that ended up being the actual case with that game, and then we all gave it 10s out of 10s and pretended it was the best game ever anyway for some reason, but in, in Halo, it's not like Grand Theft Auto where you can interact with everything, there's everything you'd ever want to do in the open world, no, because it is mostly just bases, outposts, enemy encounters, terrain to navigate, not much to do outside of that, but the open world is small enough, and the enemy encounters are so properly developed and strategically placed and fun to engage in that it's like moving around the open world is almost like just playing a level where it's always fun to get around in it rather than it being like oh man here's just empty space for miles and miles and i just got to move around till i get to the next place so i actually enjoyed the open world quite a bit i don't think it was entirely necessary again i like the linear nature of halo games and i think you know we'll, we'll get into it in a, in a little bit actually but there was a huge story about how this game was supposed to originally be more breath of the wild super open-ended um, and then they had to cut so much content from the game that it ended up being a more pared down linear kind of open world and i think the game is better off for it but i don't know it's interesting to see how we both kind of interacted with the world in a different way now wookie808 wrote in says i'm loving the game so far really enjoying the cutscenes and dialogue the gameplay is amazing the open world is beautiful i will say so let's just kind of touch on the the things you're bringing up here the dialogue and the cutscenes we'll go really light on this because again i'm not spoiling anything today we'll talk about spoilers at the end of next week's episode we'll tack on a little spoiler discussion so people can listen to the podcast and then bounce if they don't want to hear it but yeah as far as dialogue and cutscenes i thought the writing and the dialogue and the voice acting and everything I thought in this game were generally fantastic. I really don't like the pilot character at all. I, I found that like every new character I liked a lot with the exception of the pilot. I, it's like I either loved or or didn't like at all the new characters. There was no character I was like, oh, they're, they're fine. It was like the, the pilot, really dislike. Everyone else, pretty badass character. That being said, I think other than the pilot, everyone is really well written in this game. 
I think that you can you can really tell that 343 got really, really butthurt about the kind of reaction to Halo 5 and the whole, like, you don't play as Master Chief enough. This is a Master Chief game. Where the hell is Master Chief? Oh, they make Master Chief talk too much in Halos 4 and 5. Like, bring back Bungie's Master Chief. And you can tell they really took that to heart because in this game, they and, and you could tell with the marketing and the trailers we'd seen leading up to the game over the past few years that they're trying really hard to capture that quiet, stoic, only speaks when absolutely necessary kind of Master Chief that we used to know from like the Halo 1, 2, and 3 days. I like the more talkative Master Chief. I don't want him to be a chatterbox, but like I do like that he talked more in 4 and 5. I thought, especially in 4, when it was very necessary because it was a very intimate story about just Master Chief and Cortana, I thought it made sense in that context. In this game, he definitely still talks more like in 343 games, but he overall talks less than in 4 and 5. And when he does talk, it is a little more like deliberate, concise, short and sweet. Uh, you can tell there was much more of a concerted effort to be like, Master Chief is this stoic, quiet, big badass who only speaks when absolutely necessary. There were times where he's spoken to and he just doesn't say anything at all because it's just not necessary. There are times where someone talks to him and a response would warrant like some big, long tirade, but he just gives them something short and you know, just a phrase or two two words, whatever, just something very direct, cutthroat, and done. And so I think in terms of trying to get back to the Master Chief that a lot of traditional Halo fans really wanted, I think they did a good job with that, but I still feel like it feels more like the Master Chief we had in 4 and 5, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I'm personally happy with it because I, I love the direction 343 has been taking Halo in 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 over the past 10 years with four and five, but this really does much in the way that like the art style is like, Hey, we're trying to get back to halo three. We're trying to get back to halo combat evolved much in the way that the art style is doing that, but it still has a modern kind of flair to it. I feel like the dialogue and the writing has that too, where it's like, we're trying to get back to the classics and the basics and the bungee era that you love, but also, you know, it, whether it's intentional or not, there's just still some halo three or sorry, halo three, four, three ism kind of, you know, flair to it all. But that being said, I, I generally think the gameplay in this game is amazing. Let's put the story aside. Cause I think that's where having beaten the game, I and not talking about any of the story details. I think that's where people are going to be most divided on this game. It's just, you know, once they add, once they fix the multiplayer and once they fix the progression system and once they add in the co-op and the forge and all the little fanboys stop bitching and crying about everything that's not there right this second, you know, six months, 10 months down the road when this game is more of a complete package and we have none of those things to complain about. I think the zeitgeist for this game is going to be great game. People are kind of divided on the story. That's that's my assumption. So we'll just leave the story out for now and just talk about the gameplay. I think the gameplay, as someone who loved Halo 5, I think the gameplay is objectively phenomenal. I really love what Halo 5 did with the Spartan abilities and making those in inherent to the to the player with the thruster packs and the ground pound and the clamor and all that. The only uh, ability of that suite of abilities that, that remains is clamor, um, which I, you just can't take clamor out. It's just, it just felt like too much of like a necessary thing to have. Um, but, but, but thruster is still there. It's just, it's just an equipment like the grapple hook or like the drop shield. So much like how it works in multiplayer. And I'll, I'll be honest, that bummed me out a lot. That I, I really thought the way they included these new abilities in Halo 5 was so natural, such a natural evolution of the Halo gameplay formula. Because if you read the books or read any extended lore of the Halo universe, Spartans are these super soldiers that have these amazing abilities and their suits can do all this cool shit and they are more capable than the average soldier. So the thruster pack 
is not weird canonically. The ground pound is not an unbelievable kind of ability. And the fact that they made it inherent to every player in the game from default, to me, made it fair, made it even. You know, it's like people would complain. It's like, well, that's like Halo 4. It's like Call of Duty. It's like loadouts. It's not fair if someone can ground pound. It's not fair if someone can thrust out of the way when you throw something at them. It's like, but everyone can do it so it is fair i don't i never understood that criticism of halo 5 and i really really enjoyed the way those mechanics kind of added flair to the gameplay and now that we're kind of back to a halo 4 or halo reach style where it's like well you still have that thruster ability but it's just you know it's equipment you pick it up i I hate that i'm like oh, I hate the compromise of like, I can't have that ability now because I also want this ability. If I want the grapple hook, I can't, I can't thrust. You know, it's like, oh, that that drives me nuts. But aside from that, that personal preference, that's generally small gripe because I think 99% of people would actually disagree with me on that. I think the gameplay is phenomenal. I It feels like the past year, you know, people just talk about, oh, well, they really want to make the graphics pretty to prove something to people who complained in 2020. I don't even think that's what the past year was about. I think the past year was about stability and just fine-tuning the combat encounters because if there's one thing in this game that feels polished, fully fleshed out, as AAA as humanly possible, it is combat. It is just enemy encounters. It is the feeling of the guns. It is the balancing of the weapons. It is the way encounters work. Everything from when you're in the open world, which is incredibly impressive, to when you're in more linear levels, every enemy encounter feels so well play-tested. Every enemy is placed in such a deliberate and advantageous kind of position to where it's like, all right, here's the room we created. Here's the battle scenario. You can fight in this lane. You can fight in this lane, or you can go vertical because you have the grapple hook. You can basically just like enter in a enter in a combat arena, right? Take out these little grunts, take your long range re- weapon, get that jackal sniper up on the ledge, and then grapple under the bridge, swing up to the top of the fucking bridge so that the hunter or the or the elites or something can't like fucking melee the fuck out of you. So you get some distance on them, and then pick up this weapon, and like and. The, that's the Halo fundamental gameplay loop, but this game, I think, literally does it better than any Halo. Better than Halo 1. I know we're supposed to love the original Halo. No, no matter what, we're not allowed to like anything that comes out after the original, or that's sacrilege. It's better than Halo 3. I know, my favorite Halo of all time. Oh, how dare you say it. Oh my god, Bungie is going to put you in hell. You are going to get a Disney Fast Pass ticket to go to hell, you fucking idiot. You're not allowed to say bad things about Bungie. But the the combat, the fine-tuning of the gunplay, the way that, that combat scenarios are, are, are laid out and everything, the design is fundamentally the best Halo has ever been, hands down. Suck it, Bungie. Suck it, Halo 5, even though I love Halo 5 to death. This game does a phenomenal job with the classic Halo 30 seconds of fun, where you were just constantly engaged and i played on normal mode 343 recommended normal mode i know normally halo games are recommended on heroic but i played normal and i'll i'll be honest i it wasn't like a challenge like oh i can't beat this game but normal mode in this game is actually harder than it is in previous halo games and not hard like oh my god this is fucking stupid why is it so hard it was it's like that uh like that classic overused ign uh, f- uh, uh tough but fair kind of fun where like there were genuine like boss battles and combat snares where it's like I died multiple times on normal mode and it was never once frustrating. It was always like, damn, okay, I see how I died. It was because that enemy right there and then you spawn back in. You're like, well, let me try this weapon and let me try to go this way instead of that way. And let me try to take out this enemy first. And maybe if I, you know, it's 
and the new tools and the new way that the sand, that that combat encounters are more vertical and there's more lanes and ways to approach it and there's new items that make it more interesting and dynamic like especially the grappling hook it makes it so much easier like there's this one encounter i was coming where i kept i kept like being like okay let me stand from a distance i have this battle rifle let me pick off the the jackal snipers and then pick off the grunts and then i'll go in and then i'll fight this elite because I, because in the background there was a wraith. I'm like, there's just no fucking way I can take out this wraith right now. So let me try to pick off everything around the wraith. And it kept, I kept dying and dying and dying because there's these two fucking elites and this brute that just kept getting me every time. And I couldn't, like, dance around them without getting hit by the wraith. So then I just spawned in after, like, a couple times of dying. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I ran to the base instead. I got a different weapon. And then I, could, I was able to use the, it was like a shotgun or something, and pick off all the small enemies because they would kind of come to me in the base. And then I'd take my grapple hook, go behind the building, the little, the little um, weapons cache or whatever, and then uh, weapons cache or whatever. And then this guy, it, when I went over there, it would attract the AI from this other vehicle that was even further away that I wasn't even looking at before. And it was a, a banished brute in a in a chopper and then he would come kind of towards me with the wraith so this way i was far away enough from the elites and the in the brutes that they weren't fighting me but i was closer to the wraith which i was trying to avoid but it's easy to avoid just one vehicle and nothing else is shooting at you but now this chopper's got my attention because i'm on the other side of the battle and he's coming towards me and i take my grappling hook and i just i just grapple onto that motherfucker on the chopper rip him out like grand theft auto style take that motherfucker and now i'm able to just zoom back over to where i started take out all the other enemies and it's easier to avoid the wraith because now i got the mobility of the vehicle and then i can take out the wraith and it was just one of those things where it's like this is so fundamental to how you play halo you could do this kind of thing in mostly any halo game but it is the added maneuverability it is the added accessibility of the combat because you have different types of weapons and more importantly this new equipment like the grapple hook that just makes it more fun and more dynamic and it was never like a oh i died that's frustrating it was always like a oh man i just got to play it differently honestly i actually feel like the halo game that did this best and this might be a controversial take but i think the halo game that did this best until halo infinite was probably halo reach i thought halo reach was really good at this as well and so to me that that's like that's like pinnacle halo if you can nail the dance of like tough scenario okay Find a different weapon. Find a different uh, method of attack. You know, like, I think that's what makes Halo fun. That's what separates it from Call of Duty is because Call of Duty is like, you find a gun you like, you never stray from that gun. And it's like, okay, tough combat scenario. Well, all the enemies are the exact goddamn enemy. So just take cover, stay back, and pick them off one by one, and then progress up the battlefield. And that's most shooters. That's Call of Duty. That's mostly everything. This is what makes Halo fun is you don't, you don't hide. You don't take cover. You don't play with one gun that you like a lot. You play with every gun. You dance with the enemies. You run around the map. You take this weapon. You take that. You take that. I'm trying to say, you take that perch or whatever, and, and get that vantage point. And that I don't know. It's like the combination of these new this new equipment that makes it more fun to play, paired with paired with guns that are all fun to use. It's God. It's the best. It's just the best. And the guns feel so satisfying to shoot. And they feel so punchy, and the enemies, like their life and their in their AI, it's so smart and everything. It just feels so well balanced that it is the most fun. That thirty seconds of fun, that that dance of a gameplay loop with Halo has ever been, in my opinion. It is so so well done. So man, I I, I know I'm going along on that, but man, I I that's that's the that's the strong thing about Halo Infinite. It's just that moment to moment gameplay is so strong. Now, Wookie, you also mentioned that the the cutscenes are really good. That was another thing I was like a little mm, about because and we knew this in advance. They they told us this that 
the cutscenes in this game were all going to be rendered in-game. It's fine because the game looks generally beautiful. It's not the most beautiful game in the world. It's not. I played on a Series X, which is where it should look best, and it is just not the most beautiful-looking game of all time. It does look stunning, however, especially like when you're in Forerunner structures and everything. The game looks visually incredible. Don't get me wrong, but it's just character models and things like that. It's not the prettiest game I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I don't care. I don't expect it to be, especially when you make it a little more of an open world experience whatever but but one thing that kind of bugged me a little bit about the cutscenes is like you know 343 have used blur studios to do their cutscenes for so long that like the cutscenes in like halo 2 anniversary and in halo 4 and halo 5 these cutscenes look so phenomenal I, I could sit in a theater and watch this as a movie. They just look so good that it kind of, in retrospect, is going to make Halo Infinite look a little rough around the edges, kind of like how Halo 3 does, because Halo Infinite is going to have all of its cutscenes in engine, and it's just going to kind of age while things like Halo 2 Anniversary or Halo 4 look kind of permanently great because of this amazing CG. I mean, dude, Halo, Halo 4 is approaching 10 years old. I can't believe it either, but the game's nine years old, and those cutscenes still look phenomenal, so... Clearly, the technology was at the right place when they started doing that and making that decision, and, and it worked out well for them. So I, I, that's, that's a really nitty-gritty personal gripe. That's not the kind of thing that's like going to affect my, my long-term you know, view of the game, but I, I don't know. That's one thing I'm like, ugh, because now we have this combination where some Halo games have pre-rendered cutscenes, some don't, and it's just like, the, ugh. Anyway, but we'll, we can get more into that when we talk spoilers because I have some more specific gripes about like the way they made certain characters look and, and change some things. It, it is fun. You can tell it throughout development. They consistently went back and tried to make things that look more 343 look more. This isn't this isn't a spoiler at all because this is a scene that was in like the first one of the first trailers we ever got. But you know uh, that that trailer where they first introduced the pilot, uh, where it's like he's he's like adrift in space and then he wakes up, he's getting the alert, and then he's like trying to turn off the valve that's like going off or whatever, and then and like all his cargo shit falls off the wall and he goes like scrambling for that little uh, family momentum keepsake he has, where it's that like pre-rendered record or that sorry that pre-recording of his wife and his child, and she's like telling the kid like say hi to daddy, how big are you and all that that really cute heartwarming scene. When they played that scene in the game. You can tell <laughs> that the one we saw in the trailer two years ago or whatever is vastly different um, from the one they did now. Because in the trailer back in the day when, when we first saw that scene, the character model for his wife and his child and everything looked so Halo 5. It looked so 343-era Halo. And then the final version that we got in the game, is it you know it's all in engine it's so it's kind of like a little more muddy and like whatever looking and the character models were redesigned to look more like halo 2 halo 3 kind of characters that we've we we expect from like the bungee days so it's kind of funny seeing some of those things we saw in trailers years ago kind of in the final product today where it's like oh man you can see they tried so fucking hard to get away from the art style that they built with halos 4 and 5 and honestly aside from some story stuff that i'll talk about next week when we do spoilers that was kind of my only other serious gripe. It's really those two things. It is it is some story things as a huge Halo 5 fan that I, I, I didn't care for, which we'll get into later. And then the other thing is the art style overhaul. Now, we've known for years that Halo Infinite was trying to go back to basics, trying to go back to the old school Halo that everyone loved. I thought I had made my peace with that, and I thought I had come to terms and accepted that. I love the Bungie Halo. You know, I love the way Halo 3 looks. I think that game is a, is, is a timeless classic. It looks beautiful to this day. I love the art style. The character faces look terrible in that game, but that's okay. It was 2007. We can all accept it. But I, I don't know. I thought I had made peace with this, but it wasn't until I played 
Halo Infinite for myself, the campaign, that I realized, like, I actually really loved the way 343 evolved the Halo art style and made it look a lot more spacey and sci-fi and futuristic. And I, I was really on board with that. But it's like just going back and seeing the way like regular civilians look and the way other UNSC members look and the way like just armor and things look. And I'm like, I kind of miss that more like UNSC or uh, yeah, UNSC Infinity out in outer space kind of like sleek, chromey future sci-fi look that we had in Halo 5 where everything was a little more slender, a little more chrome, a little more like colorful and everything. We're kind of back to that Halo 3 like Everything's a little more gray, a little more metallic, a little more, um, a little more like rusted. Unless you're in the Forerunner structures where it looks basically like Halo 3 and like 4K Ultra HD, it, everything looks just a little more kind of in the spirit of classic Halo, but a little more bland. I, I liked the way they had changed the art style. So that's it's a really arbitrary, a little per, a personal kind of gripe, but I, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a little nostalgic now <laughs> for the Halo 4, Halo 5, 343 era look for the Halo universe. I thought Halo Wars 2 did a really great job of bleeding, you know, the old and the new together. Um, and I kind of wish Halo Infinite had more of a Halo Wars 2 look. And there are times where Halo Infinite does look like Halo Wars. Like, it looks like first-person Halo Wars when you're, like, fighting Banish and shit on Zeta Halo. But I, I don't know. A, a personal gripe, nothing that's detracting my ability to be like, this game was a 10 out of 10 or whatever, you know, but... Whatever. I think we'll probably wrap up the Halo talk for now, just because, again, I don't, you know, we have a long, a large news week to get to. Um, but thank you for those who wrote in. I have some other comments of yours, which I definitely want to save for, I definitely want to save for next week when we talk spoiler stuff, Count Scotula, Redo Vandal. Um, so thank you guys so much for, for writing in and for uh, taking my inquiry. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just put it like this. The story of Overall, I have my criticisms of it. I'm very high on it. The gameplay, I'm extremely high on. Uh, the thing is, a lot of people complain about the lack of environmental variety. It's a really valid concern. It is mostly just on a Halo ring or on a very similar looking uh, Forerunner structure in most missions. But remember that Halo Infinite is a platform. It is the next 10 years of Halo. So this is almost like Halo Destiny. And in that regard, God, I just realized there's so many things I want to say I didn't talk about. In that regard, I, I don't want to give it a pass because it's like, hey, we're talking about Halo Infinite as it is today. We're not talking about where it's going to be in five years. But we're going to get that more varied and variety of of. of of settings to play in. It's just right now what we're getting is the um, kind of basics. So it's a very fair criticism for people to be kind of upset about that. But at the same time, I I, I think I, I knew that going into the game and it kind of tempered my expectation. It made me not so disappointed when, when I only saw two or three types of environments being reused for the entire campaign. So I will say fair criticism. It's nothing that really got me too much just because I know on, on the horizon we got more Halo Infinite. The other thing is just kind of the nature of the open world. Let's, let's jump into... So... We're done talking about kind of my impressions for the most part, but there are two news stories regarding Halo Infinite that I want to just talk about now since we're already talking about Halo Infinite, right? And then we'll jump into the rest of the news now. Let's talk about the first one just because I think this will kind of address more settings, more variety, more content in the game. So Microsoft has filed a U.S. trademark application this week for Halo the Endless. I always butcher this guy's name. On Twitter, um, Aguirre Nementi Lumia on Twitter uh, was the one who spotted it and shared the trademark application. It was filed on December 3rd and updated on December 7th, so just a few days ago. So basically, it's unclear, you know, what this is, but we'll talk about, you know, spoiler alert. This isn't really a spoiler, but I can tell you by the title of this content that this is in reference to DLC 
or more content for Halo Infinite. This is most likely the game's first expansion. So, and, and I won't we won't talk about why because story story beats. But um, remember, Halo Infinite is basically like it's not it's not Destiny in that it's a shared world shooter that you know is like almost like MMO light. But it is like Destiny in that this game is the platform. And they will continue to add new content to it, add new content, add new content. And rather than us getting the next Halo game in, in three or four years, we'll just get more content into Halo Infinite. More campaigns, more story modes, more more environments to explore, more missions, more things to unlock and do. So this is obviously the first DLC pack, the first uh, probably story content. And maybe it's a year and a half or two years away. I don't know. But this is the kind of thing that immediately has me excited because... If you didn't know that Halo Infinite was a 10-year game and that there's more content on the way, you might beat Halo Infinite and be like, why the open world? It seems like it didn't serve the narrative all that well. Why this ability to explore the world after you beat the game? You can keep going around Zeta Halo and taking out outposts and playing around the sandbox. Why do that if it just didn't really serve the narrative that well? And it's like, well, because this is going to be your hub for all the future content going forward. And I think Halo the Endless is going to play into that. So we're not going to probably see anything on this for maybe uh, maybe six months to a year from now. But I'm already very excited about this because now that they can do this a little more Destiny style where we get these campaign expansions instead of just new Halo games, it means we can get new story content out at a faster clip, which means we're not going to have to wait as long as we did between Halos 5 and Infinite uh, for our next you know, our next chapter in the Halo saga. So that is very exciting to me. But the other story I want to talk about, and this is, this pertains more to the, I, th- I think everyone knows Halo Infinite clearly had a troubled development cycle. I mean, dude, for years we've been talking about this person in leadership left, this person in leadership left, the game got delayed again, the first showing was rough, you hear reports of people just coming and going at 343 all the time. It's not shaping up well, why did it take them six years to make this game, etc., etc. Although I do think people constantly forget the fact that they built a new engine as well in between Halos 5 and Infinite, so it's not like just a game, it's like they, they built a new engine, that's a lot of work. But anyway, GameSpot actually had the scoop, well, GameSpot was the only one who relayed it well because um, it was a Bloomberg article by Jason Schreier, but I don't have a subscription to Bloomberg, so we get it trans- transcribed by GameSpot because for some fucking reason, IGN and a lot of big outlets didn't either didn't cover the story at all or left out a lot of big elements of the story, which I thought was really fucking weird because this is a huge story, but whatever. GameSpot relays, um, a new report has shed some light on Halo Infinite's development, which currently, with, sorry, with cor- with current and former developers speaking out about the challenging production uh, of bringing the game to market. A story from Bloomberg says that 343 began planning what would become Halo Infinite not long after 5 released in 2015. The studio considered different ideas before a plan to make the game open world, but development proved difficult because 343 was using a pla- development platform suite known as Faber, which was old and challenging to use. This was seemingly part of Halo Infinite's new slipspace engine, which powers Halo Infinite. 343 Bonnie Ross said in an interview with GameSpot's sister site CNET that creating a new engine and overhauling the existing development tools amounted to something similar to trying to fly a plane uh, while we're building a plane. She said, I think that just caused a lot, a lot of pain for a lot of people. Things took longer than they should have to get the content into the game and make sure the content was polished. Bloomberg reported uh, reporter Jason Schreier added on Twitter that 343 
considered switching to Unreal Engine at one point due to the complications of using Faber, but ultimately decided to stick with their own tools. Obviously, probably didn't want to pay, you know, Microsoft probably didn't want to pay uh, Epic the licensing fee to use Unreal because that would have been expensive in the long run. Anyway, the Bloomberg report mentioned that another issue was Halo Infinite's development team was made of contract workers, uh, mostly who were apparently comprised of about half the total development staff. So not mostly, but half. Uh, they could stay on only for 18 months due to Microsoft's policy. The report says uh, that this in turn led to turnover and other issues constantly. One developer told Bloomberg that Halo Infinite's development team felt like four or five games being developed simultaneously, which led to challenges and other problems. In summer of 2019, this came to a head where 343 elected to cut nearly two-thirds of what was planned for Halo Infinite. Uh, according to the report, eventually the game's open world was cut back from a vast Zelda Breath of the World-like experience into something smaller. Bosses are, na are are said to have told employees that Halo Infinite needed to be a launch title for Series X in November of 2020, but those plans shifted uh, after the summer of 2020 when the first de campaign demo failed to impress fans and spawned the infamous Craig and Brute memes over its graphics. Now, according to Jason Schreier, Microsoft considered releasing Halo Infinite's multiplayer in 2019 and then doing the campaign in 2020 before electing to push both projects together into 2021. That is interesting to note, of course, because uh, Phil Spencer was the one who was like, oh, no, 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 we would never release them separately because there were rumors for a while that that was going to happen. Anyway, continuing on in the CNET interview, Ross acknowledged that 343 bit off, uh, sorry, bit off more than they could chew with Halo Infinite, but says, if you could go back in time, there are some decisions. Maybe we shouldn't have tried so many things at once, like doing free-to-play, doing more expense, expansive world with more traditional story, uh, but you're also allowed to have a lot more agency in your play. Those two things are huge in and of themselves, and we decided to take them both on. Ross also admitted that although she's proud of the game now, some leadership decisions could have been better handled, saying, as far as a leadership perspective, I think there's probably decisions, not probably, there are decisions that I should have made earlier that would have made an easier development path for the team. Now, Halo Infinite is unlikely is unlike any previous title in the game because it is designed as a, quote, live service game that will grow and evolve over time, both for the campaign and multiplayer, which we just talked about. Features coming to the campaign over time include Forge campaign co-op and the ability to put replay missions uh, for multiplayer player fans can look forward to new modes, maps, weapons in the game's seasonal updates. Ross also said that Halo Infinite is a fresh start for the series, and it's more of a platform than a single game. So basically, she says, quote, you know, a fresh start in, on how we look at Halo for the next 10 years, like a platform which we can build on storytelling. So we just talked about a little bit of some of that, but here's the main thing is, there's no denying that Halo Infinite was poorly mismanaged, and I feel like I see a lot of like the Halo YouTubers talking about this, and I see a lot of like, you know, people tweeting about this, their, their takes on it, and this is no disrespect to any of them, but I feel like a lot of people are missing the point here, which is that... At the end of the day, this is just like the Activision harassment thing where it's like, n stop blaming each and every little individual that this stuff happens because clearly the little things are indicative of a bigger problem. It, this isn't, you know, one one guy in, a, in in the leadership team left, so that that was a huge wrench in things. Or the the excuse Microsoft really wants you to buy, which is COVID made things very, very difficult. Um, and I'm sure COVID did make things difficult to, to an extent, but... This isn't COVID. This isn't we lost this one guy midway through development and really fucked things up. This is much bigger than that. This is uh, this likely it, to a large extent. Yes, this does fall on Bonnie Ross's shoulders, uh, who is the head of 343. But this kind of falls on Phil Spencer's shoulders. You know, I, I always say really nice things about Phil Spencer. I like that guy a lot. I, 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 I He seems like he's probably a pretty good guy. I, I can't know. He's He's just an executive for a big corporation, so it's kind of hard to say. But I generally try to give Phil Spencer all the credit I can. I try to be really nice to him because I, I about him because I think he's genuinely 
the right guy for the job and genuinely a good guy who wants to put out good content and cares about the Xbox brand and about the player base and things like that. I genuinely do believe that. But if I'm just being really honest, this is stuff that falls on his plate. And the only reason I say is because, again, we have to bring PlayStation to the mix. You have to. Look at PlayStation. They cancel projects. Absolutely. But we don't hear massive, scandalous stories like this. Now, they had something kind of like this earlier this year. But, again, these were things that were killed in the bathtub long before, you know, it ever became an E3 announcement. I feel like Microsoft has way too many of these things. We look at Scalebound. We look at the tortured development of Halo Infinite. We look at the cancellation of um, uh, Phantom Phantom Dust. And all these games where it's just like things get canceled, things don't pan out, Lionhead Studios got shut down. And a lot of this shit is happening under Phil Spencer's watch. Remember that Phil Spencer's job is he's the head of Xbox Game Studios. It is his job to be managing these studios, to be approving, denying things, to be the guy who's like, guys, this is where we need to focus our development time. And I I understand that, at least according to Spencer, a lot of his approach is like, I try to be hands-off. I try to be like, hey, let me give you the freedom to do what you want to do, to make the game you want to make. And I really appreciate and respect that about him. But this is the thing is it's like Halo Infinite was in development for six years, you know, give or take with with COVID and, and, and trying to build the slip space engine. But six years, they talk about the article talks about how they basically got to work on Halo 6 in some capacity immediately after Halo 5 came out in October of 2015. Dude, in October 2015, Windows Phone existed. So that's what I'm trying to get to is it's like they clearly there are clearly some mishaps that happen where it's like, why was upper leadership not more involved in like guys we got to get a vision clear guys we need to pick an engine early on we need to pick a we need to pick a tool set early on we need to figure out what we're going to make and figure out how plausible it is to make that early on it feels like 343 was just given free reign to kind of meander about and be like oh we kind of want to do this we kind of want to do that i feel like a big thing people always forget actually is that halo 5 halo 5 had something of a troubled development cycle as well uh you can tell that game feels like it's missing about 30 percent of the story content they wanted to add i think that's what led to the mismarketing of the hunt the truth thing and master chief is a traitor thing i think a lot of that wasn't poor marketing i think the marketing team got the message way sooner than the game was finished being developed and they ended up cutting a lot of content from halo 5 which made it feel like a like a a mismarketed project but if you go back and read the development interviews and stuff during halo 5 they talk about how they wanted halo 5 to be semi-open world they wanted to kind of like get a little more crafty with the halo formula so it's no surprise that this is where they took halo infinite right um that's why halo 5 had those weird missions where it was like 30 seconds and you're just exploring an environment and talking to a couple of uh unsc members and then on to the next mission was because they were playing with this stuff and so I only say that to say it's obvious that 343 wanted to do an open-world Halo or at least a more open-ended Halo. So that decision isn't something I think they kind of made on the fly at some point. I think that's a decision that they made probably a long time ago that they'd been wanting to do, and Halo Infinite was the opportunity to get it done, right? And so I, I get that, but it's like, what what happened here? Because there's clearly this whole, like, we got to fix what we did in Halo 5 because people weren't happy with that. We got to go back to basics because people want Bungie Halo. We got to make it open world because that's kind of what we want to do with the next Halo game. And there's so many things happening in so many places. At what point did the highest level of management sit down with the, with the, with the, um, the leads of 343 and say, okay, our next Halo title, this is the timeline we're looking at. These are our aspirations. This is what we want to get done. How are we going to get this done? And the game just had clearly, and I don't mean to play like, 
you know, armchair executive here. Clearly, I wouldn't be good at this job at all. I, I know that. I know this is hard stuff. But like, at what point was someone like, listen, this is what we want to get done. It's very ambitious. How are we going to get this done? Because when you read the details, it's like clearly they did everything in their power to make this a belabored, miserable process. They The report says that they had like 50% of their labor being like these contract workers who would just work for like, for like 12 to 18 months and then boom, move on to the next group of, of contract workers and that people were rarely ever getting promoted to full time. And so people were, weren't getting proper work and there were just so many people coming in and out working on the project. And you can tell, like if you're even remotely tapped into the Halo ecosystem on social media, you can, you can see that there are so many people who are like, oh, I worked on Halo Infinite. I, I, yeah, I got that on my resume. And Chris Reagan, who I, I commonly watch, YouTuber, podcaster, he knows a lot of people at 343. He has said multiple times in the past how he knows a lot of people who've worked at 343. And a lot of people would just kind of treat it as like a turn and burn thing where it's like, hey, I, I got a job at 343 for like a year, got a little work done on Halo Infinite. Boom, now I got Halo on my resume. Bye, I'm on to the next thing. So this is not the way you make a game. The way you make a game is you get a core development team. You get, I understand you're gonna, it's common for any AAA game these days. You hire some, you outsource some things to other studios to get, you know, some smaller projects done or some asset work done, whatever. That's common, that's fine. Maybe you get some contract workers from some smaller projects. But the core of the game, you get a a big full-time team that that, that makes up, that, that comprises... Uh, that's comprised of full-time 343 Industries developers and employees, and you have those people make the core of the game. And it just seems like this this had a very small core of people working at 343, and then a bunch of part-time and outsourced and, and contract workers, and that's just not how... And I understand Microsoft wanted to keep this game in a, in a nice budget, you know, but this is, your, this is your flagship game. Like, you spend the money you have to, because what you see is... And now because of the blabored point of like a year delay, COVID and the way that affected shit, all the contract work, all the things that went wrong with the game, all the tool sets that weren't working, having to build the slip space engine, what you end up with is a game that probably costs more in the long run to develop than they initially thought it was going to. And they might have even saved money, and this is all conjecture, of course, but they might have even been able to save money had they just done the right thing from the start and been like, this is what we aspire to make with Halo Infinite. It's going to be a more timely and costly project than any Halo game we've ever made before, but we think this is the direction for Halo. Let's do this once and do it right. Let's hire the appropriate people. Let's get the right talent. Let's bring them on board. Let's pay them what they need to be paid so we can make this fucking project. You are Microsoft, for goddamn sake. You fucking make contracts with the United States government to build, like, to help murder people in third world countries. Like, come on. Well, it's not like Microsoft doesn't have the fucking money. And I understand, you know, just because Microsoft has money doesn't mean Xbox gets unlimited funding for everything. They don't. You know, Xbox is relatively small in the, in, in, in the Microsoft ecosystem. But still, like, spend the necessary fucking money, especially for your tentpole, 10 out of 10, big franchise, Halo. The thing that literally created Xbox. The whole reason we're making a big deal about it right now is because Halo's 20 years old, Xbox is 20 years old, it's 20 years of everything, let's celebrate this game that literally made Xbox not go the way of Sega, yet here we have a story that's just Microsoft was being penny-pinching and stupid about this whole thing and just trying to get away with all this shit, and they ended up belaboring the fuck out of the project, and that's, you know, that's not all written explicitly in the article, of course, I could be entirely wrong, but that I think is the pretty obvious reality of what happened here, and and above all that, because I don't really give a shit that, you know, this story has happened a lot with Halo. Halo 2 famously had a really 
a really um, brutal development cycle, and then that game ended up being great. The, the thing is, Halo Infinite is out now. It's a little light on content. I'm sure they'll get around to it all, but the main thing is the game's great. The multiplayer's fantastic. The campaign's fantastic. I played it. I loved it. Great for gamers. I don't really care about that so much as I care about the way this affected all the fucking people that worked on this game, the people that couldn't get full-time work, the people that couldn't get reliable work, the people that were just brought on and let go, the leadership that was probably so stressed out and felt unequipped to do the job properly that they frustratingly left or were fired and things like that this is this is the bigger story here and that's the bigger you know that's that's the sadder part here is that this is kind of the way in which halo had to be made you know we we talk about crunch in the game industry and i I, i'm usually a little less sympathetic to that because i'm like dude if you want to be here and you want to make the game you'll fucking put in the time and make the game this isn't so much like that this is more like you can't properly make the game because you've only been here for like eight months 12 months whatever and now you're already being pushed out the door so the next the next group of contract workers can come in so they don't have to give you full benefits so they don't have to give you full-time work so they don't have to give you proper pay that's fucked you're microsoft this is the games industry this is one of the most lucrative industries this is one of the most lucrative properties within one of the most lucrative industries shut the fuck up pay the appropriate money do the job right i feel like this game could have been out a year ago if they had done that i feel like this game could have been made a lot smoother if they did that a year ago and the big thing here that they talk about in terms of cut content is the game was supposed to be a zelda breath of the world open world style halo game and instead what we got was a more like uh, not quite like Rise of the Tomb Raider where it's like open-ish world areas but you know something between like a Far Cry and in 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 a in a Rise of the Tomb Raider in terms of its open world scope. Now, personally that just ended up working out because for me because I I actually think that benefits the game. I don't like big dumb open worlds. I I think Zelda Breath of the Wild is extremely boring because it's just a big open plot of land with nothing to do in it. So I think it actually served the game better in the long run. We'll never know because the game's not a big open world, so we can't compare. But um, I, th- I think that ultimately, you know, cutting down the scale of the open world significantly, I think it actually... But again, this is that Halo 5 thing where we can see for years and years they've been marketing this as explore Zeta Halo, explore vast open world in Halo. Halo's going open world. And here it is. It's open world, all right. It's big. There's a lot to explore, but it's not, it's not like impressively big. It's kind of like the Halo 5 Hunt the Truth thing again. It's like they're like, Master Chief is a traitor, Hunt the Truth, play as Locke, what's going on here? And then once you get past all the cut content, the compromises made to, to hit that October 2015 release date, you're like, oh, it's a, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Chief abandoned, you know, his orders from the UNSC and went to go find Cortana. And so Locke has to bring him back in. It's not like he's a bad guy or anything. Like, calm the fuck down. This Hunt the Truth marketing is a little, a little overdone, don't you think? So, man, we've been talking about Halo forever. But, guys, we'll leave it at that. I just, uh, I don't know. I'm so happy Halo Infinite is out. I'm so happy that it is great. It is very great. And because it is a platform, because there's a lot more content to come, I'm so excited for it. Um, if there's anything that's not here on day one that I'm kind of like, oh, I wish I were here. It's, it's really um, community-made maps and Forge because I, I would love to fuck around in some community-made maps right now. But um, everything's on the way. Tons of content on the way. And I don't know. I, as someone who loves Destiny and understood the way Destiny played out, I guess, it's easier for me to not be disappointed because Destiny on day one in 2014 was a little light on content. It was like, what? But... I understand what Destiny is now today in the year of 2021, and Destiny's fantastic with tons of shit to do. So I kind of look at Halo Infinite the same way where I'm like, okay, guys, calm down. Yes, it's a little light on content here and there, but like in five years, you know, in in two years, it'll be a lot bigger, and in one year, it'll be a lot bigger, and five years, it'll be massively bigger. So like, just calm down. The content is coming, uh, but what we have here, the important thing is so far, great. 
I'm I'm sad that this is the way we had to get there, but you know, congrats. Let let let, let me end with this. Congratulations to the team at three four three and everyone who worked on this game. Some of you probably had a lot rougher of an experience than others, but I want you to know, as a massive Halo fan, as a huge fan of this game in particular, now I really appreciate your work. This is a fantastic. Not that anyone who works at Microsoft or three four three fucking listens to this podcast, but that doesn't mean I don't I don't truly feel this way. You made a great game. As a massive Halo fan, I'm incredibly grateful and appreciative of all the labor and all <laughs> all the um, tribulations and trials and everything that uh, that went into making this game a, a reality. And uh, it, trust me, I, I you guys did a great job, and it's a great product. So that's Halo Infinite. Next week, like I said, at the end of the podcast, I will tack on a spoiler uh, discussion. So if you guys have anything you want to talk about with Halo Infinite story, direct message me, leave a comment on YouTube, whatever. We'll figure it out, and we'll talk about more of the campaign plot points and things like that, which I'm very excited to talk about because right now I I can't talk to anyone because no one's beaten the game yet. I played it too fast, so I'm really excited to get into that discussion later. But guys, with that all out of the way, a couple little quick things before we jump into comments, little stories, corrections, touch-ups. CD Projekt Red has entered a settlement, uh, settlement talks with investors who sued CD Projekt over its botched Cyberpunk launch last year. So apparently that's all kind of being settled out of court mostly. Yeah, whatever. Just an update on that. Who gives a shit? Oh, another thing. I, I just kind of a little rest in peace here. Uh, Masayuki Yumura, uh, the man credited with creating the NES and Super NES, passed away this week at the age of 78. So obviously this is an Xbox podcast, not Nintendo, but this guy is an incredibly influential and important person on the, on the games industry. I mean, the NES is the reason why console gaming, like, I mean... Come on. <laughs> like, if you are the guy credited with the creation of the Nintendo Entertainment System, then you have a huge role to play in why the Xbox exists. And I just want to say all the respect in the world to him and his family and, and rest in peace. And, you know, obviously very, very sad thing to have happen. But thank you, of course, so much for your contribution to this, uh, this entertainment medium that we all love so dearly. So with that out of the way, like I said, it's a little bit of a weird week. We're going to kind of cut through some of these normal segments a little faster than usual because we got to get through the Game Awards and then all the other news of the week. So a couple quick comments. Thankfully, we didn't have too many comments this week, so we won't dive into it too much. Uh, you know how it works. You go to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast uh, and you, you leave a comment on the latest episode and I read it and you can say something nice like Halo Infinite is a good game. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Congrats to 343. Everyone have a blessed week and eat a lot of good food. And I'll be like, God damn right. Or you can be a total asshole and be like, guess what? I buy Xbox, but I don't like Halo because I'm stupid. And I also buy PlayStation, but I don't play Uncharted because I'm stupid. What I actually do is I play Madden on the Xbox and FIFA on the PlayStation because I never want to, you know, soccer and football, it's like peas It's it's like peas and mashed potatoes. Don't ever let the two touch. So I got like a little flappy, gross little flappy sound. You know, you got your, your mashed potatoes, which is your Madden on the Xbox side, and, and you keep those achievements separate from your PSN trophies, which is where you play FIFA. At the two touch, I scream like a little bitch. It's that simple. And I'll be like, God, you're such a fucking weird person. Why are you telling me this on an Xbox podcast? But hey it's a free country and that's that's a comment you can leave if you want but andy crawley writes in and says just want to say thanks for the great content jesse now where is my pizza pop i don't know what that means but thanks for the kind comment and i will be uh i don't know how many like permutations of home addresses can exist in the world but i will i will randomly select an address from somewhere in the world and i will wrap a pizza pie around a stick and call it a pizza pop whatever the fuck that means and i will ship it to your house hopefully it's the right address andy 
whatever. I just want to make you a happy boy. All right, chips and tech from new handheld gaming devices. So last week we talked about the new NVIDIA chip and Razer making that new gaming handheld system that can run xCloud and all these things. And you guys had some interesting comments. So Mr. Miggy, who is at Magic Kingdom right now running around playing on probably riding Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blaster with his family right now, if I had to guess, says, I never knew Panera Bread had a drive through until I saw one the other day at my work. I'm as excited as you are for the Snapdragon G3X chip, but not for xCloud as I don't think it will fix the issues with that, but I'm hoping the games can be ported over. Chips and modern flagships are very powerful nowadays, and Apple has proven the M1 chip, so to see the Qual- Qualcomm go all out on a chip that could be a handheld device with proper cooling gives me hope that we can finally get console-grade gaming on the go, unlike Nintendo Switch, which outside of first-party games has ports that look watered down. Speaking of watered down, let me take a sip of my watered down iced coffee. Now, I want to, the main reason I want to read this is because I got to roll something back. I misspoke last week. I was like, oh man, if this Razer device comes out, it's a dedicated handheld gaming platform. Oh my God, it could fix the whole issue with uh, xCloud and games running on that. I don't know why I said that. I don't even believe that because obviously the thing with xCloud is it relies on really good internet connection and your Qualcomm trip chip just isn't really going to fix that issue for the most part. I mean, you can get a better wireless card or whatever in the, in, in, in the machine, but like it's at the end of the day, it's kind of up to like how good your internet is. So I do need to walk that back a little bit. I got a little too excited, but yes, you're right. Here's the thing is phones like, you know, my surface duo, the new Google pixel, the latest iPhone, whatever these phones have incredibly powerful chips in them that can do console gaming already, but these chips are meant to be mobile chips. These aren't meant solely for gaming, so they're not fully optimized, and the phones don't have the proper cooling and everything to make them run at peak performance and to do gaming unlike anything else on the market. So it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a marketing ploy that, you know, these mobile devices are like, oh, gaming extreme, it's going to look so good. It's like, well, you're also like a fucking like a a half an inch thick device that has to be like super thin and your thermals have to like, you know, keep everything locked down. So it's not, it's not that impressive compared, compared to what they can do with a chip like this that is meant for one thing and one thing only, which is gaming. And these devices are going to be made with proper ventilation and thermals so that they can push these chips to their peak performance and we can get some serious gaming performance out of them. So I do like that you bring that up and it has the more pertinent uh, kind of point to make, but overall, dude, I, I really invite and welcome this new era of like everyone's trying to make these mobile dedicated handheld platforms um, because Steam Deck is so cool in theory, but it's just not a device that speaks to me or, or entices me at all because I don't give a shit about Steam. Nintendo Switch is something I wish I loved so much, but I don't know. Nintendo just hasn't spoken to me in, in quite a while. Um, but man, if you can if you can find a way to do something that's like the Steam Deck hardware wise, but I can play my fucking Xbox games on it, I'll be like, oh my god! On my lunch break today at work, I'm actually not gonna watch YouTube for an hour and while I drink a zero sugar Pepsi. I'm actually going to play Skyrim and uh, and just be a complete hypocrite because I used to shit on that game all the time, and that, I, would, I would love that. Sweaty Bandito also wrote in and says, you know how Netflix mobile app gives you the option to download films and shows to your device? I just was. I, I just wish Xbox Game Pass mobile app had that same option. So I've been traveling to Italy and Belgium, mostly for the food, good man, and I'm about to take a flight to Australia. It's those places where I have nothing to do and little to no internet where I want to play games, like the train, the airport lounge, the aircraft, Sweaty Bandito, I completely get that because when I lived in Atlanta, that was my thing. I, I commuted by train. I commuted by train to go to school. I commuted by train to go to work. And oh my God, I used to get out of my, my old restaurant job at like one in the morning when the train is barely running. It would to get To get from my work back home on the train station, it would take me sometimes like an hour and a half. 
And so I, I always had my Nintendo Switch with me. Those early years of Nintendo Switch, when I was still living in Atlanta, still taking the train every day, I used the Nintendo Switch so goddamn much. It was such a godsend. I loved the Switch in those days. Not because it was a great platform, but because it was, you know, because it had phenomenal games on it or anything, but because it offered me pretty decent gaming experiences anywhere I went. I, it was such a nice thing to have. Obviously, my Switch just collects dust now because... I commute in bumper-to-bumper traffic all the time, so I can't do that. And when I'm home and I want to play games, I have an Xbox Series X, so literally, fuck you, Nintendo Switch. So I completely get where you're coming from. That is such a nice thing to have. But I don't know how they could do the download your game to your platform thing. Remember, I'm not a tech guy, so I'm going to sound stupid saying this probably, but these games are meant for, like, computer... I don't know that the mobile architecture is allows you know, to just download the PC version or the Xbox version of these games to these kind of mobile chips, to these these platforms, I don't think it would work that easily because the architecture, I don't think, is one-to-one. I mean, wait, it is... A, I mean, it is x86 architecture, isn't it? With all these new mobile chips... Well, no, it's it's ARM. I don't fucking again. I'm not a techie guy, so I don't I don't know. I only know some of these things, and uh, even then, I'm probably pretty stupid. So I just don't think it's as simple as like, oh, well, we can just um, make the PC version available on mobile devices for you to download. I think that's the problem, and I don't know if the investment is worth it for Microsoft to be like, oh yeah, well, we're just gonna have a third development skew of every game now, where there's the mobile version, there's the PC version, and there's the Xbox version. I think that's just a step kind of too far for them, and that's why we've seen yet for them to talk about doing that although in theory if that's what they want to do it'd be great because with netflix it's different you're just downloading you're just downloading a movie file to your phone versus your computer versus whatever but you can't natively download an xbox game onto a mobile device with a different chip architecture and just expect it to work the same way it doesn't work that way so if it were that plug and play if it were that easy i think they would and obviously we can all agree that would be fucking awesome if i could just download halo infinite to my surface duo i would just put this motherfucker in tent mode and play halo on my phone all day when i'm not home and then i would go home and i'd play halo and then my girlfriend would be like jesse i haven't seen you in a long time are you okay do you still breathe and i would be like i can't talk now we must stop Atriox and it would be a whole thing but unfortunately I just I, with my limited knowledge of tech I, I don't think that's really as easy as it, as, as it sounds not that that's what you're insinuating but hey guys I'm, I'm skip a couple comments because we really gotta get moving but I do want to end this week's comments with some utter nonsense from Headhunting Halo who says Jesse how dare you take a day off the podcast I need you in my life you don't know I, I, I don't want you I need you to do do you even care I'm crying all over my Taco Bell quesarito not only did you ruin my feelings you ruined my food I'm so disappointed fuck you JK love you but you seriously need you owe me lunch now have a great weekend douche lol so you also say really all I want to say is I'm sorry LM- I want you to say I'm sorry LMAO I, I love you my son's Xmas concert is on Halo Infinite's launch day as well as I'm about to skip it please help me decide this fuck my life and I said headhunting Halo please of course I'm sorry but more importantly please do not skip your son's uh, concert to play Halo and you said I don't know if I will LMAO but seriously I will probably go good father move there headhunting Halo but with that very important piece of information out of the way. We're done with our comments for this week. So EA's King, Dead Captain James, others, thank you for writing in. I'm sorry, we, we got to get going because we're already like two hours in and all I've said is Halo a hundred times. So guys, remember for next week's episode, don't be shy, reply. But next, we'll, we'll just jump in real quick to what I've been playing before I can tell you about what I've been playing. I'll tell you about what I've been eating. All right, we'll make this one quick. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. What I've been eating this week, nothing special, nothing new. Oh, wait, sickies. I got one for you. 
So this Sunday, there, there's this place. I'll try, I'll try and keep it quick. Okay. In, in the state of North Dakota, uh, there's a, a restaurant called Sicky's Garage. It is one of those like kitschy Route 66 American car culture, Americana, kind of decked out license plates on the walls, car fenders hanging from the ceilings, kind of sports bar. Oh, we sell T-shirts in the front, but we got a lot of beers on tap. Oh, our cheeseburgers are great because we put fried eggs and peppered bacon on everything. You get the point. If you're an American, at least, you definitely know what I'm talking about. These kinds of places happen. You see them a lot in touristy destinations. So anyway, it's from North Dakota. It's apparently really good. They had a couple locations, and then they started expanding to, to tourist spots. They got some in Las Vegas. I think they have some in L.A., um, whatever. They just built their first one here in Florida. It's 10 minutes down the road from me, right outside of Disney World. And I've been looking forward to this place opening, really excited. My nephew just so happened to randomly live in Bismarck, North Dakota for some fucking reason for a couple years. I don't know what the hell he was doing out there, but he was there. And so I messaged him. I said, hey, bro, you ever heard of a place called Sickies? He goes, oh, my God, that place has the best cheeseburgers. I miss it all the time. Why? I'm like, they're building one right next to where I live. And he goes, oh, so sick, dude. Awesome. Whatever. And so I fucking go there this past week. It's been open for like two weeks. I'm like, let me give him a couple weeks to work out the kinks. Then I'll go check it out. Maybe it's really good. I'm really excited to go here. Me and my girlfriend go here, and God, I gotta be honest with you guys. Sickies from top to bottom. The theming, the decor, the immersion, the experience. It's fun. It's kitschy. It's a great place to take the family if you're on vacation. The food was so disappointing. Impressive bar list. That's great. They have a cotton candy cheesecake on the dessert menu, which is a must-get. The combination of cotton candy and cheesecake, it is something that would make Gordon Ramsay, our boy GR, completely weep because his tiny brain, his feeble mind, would never be able to concoct such a glorious culinary creation. But... Aside from that, which was fine. I tried it. It was fine. This place is super disappointing. Burgers were like burned to a crisp. The The place is c- clearly super understaffed. So no disrespect to our server. He was clearly trying. But God, these, this place is just like run like completely just all over the map. So maybe it is still like early just open kind of restaurant kinks. And maybe I should go back and give it another try. But here's the problem is the food was just so whatever. So okay. Generic cheeseburger, generic fries, generic chicken wings, whatever. That I was like. Well, I could come back here and give it another try, you know, in a few months when they've worked out the kinks and gotten a little older, but it's so expensive. Like, why am I paying like $14 for a goddamn cheeseburger when I could just go to Disney World and pay $14 for an overpriced cheeseburger? You know, like, so Sickies, I've been looking forward to you. I've been pretty excited about you. I love the kitsch. I love the look of the restaurant. I love the concept. They got a lot of beers on tap. They got some chicky wingies. They got cotton candy cheesecake. But probably just going to end up going to uh, Rick's Sports Bar over at Disney's Coronado Springs because it's the same kind of restaurant, but it's better. And it's also overpriced. So if I want overpriced bar food, I know where to get it. And Sickies, it's not you. So uh, I just got to put that out there real quick. Very important before we get into the Game Awards. But also what I've been playing... Obviously, we just talked about it, Halo Infinite, top to bottom, all the time. So I won't talk about Halo Infinite anymore. I also finally finished the stupid fucking Battle Pass on COD Vanguard and COD um, Black Ops Cold War, the shared Battle Pass Season 6. I wanted to finish that right before it ended, right before Halo came out, so I could just be done with Call of Duty. I'm done with it. I grinded it out. I'm level 100 on the Battle Pass. We're done. I put Call of Duty away. I'm not playing it anymore, thank God. I'm fucking tired of it. Fucking around with my Oculus Quest 2 a little more. I haven't really had the time I would like to play with it, but I, God, I love that thing so much. It's, it's, it's VR is so incredibly immersive, and unlike, I, I get it. It's the same thing everyone says. It's like, you gotta try it to understand why it's so great, and goddamn, is that true? I thought I was gonna get to Guardians of the Galaxy finally. I'm actually gonna start that this weekend now that I beat Halo Infinite, so I can just play Halo Infinite multiplayer in downtime, and then Guardians of the Galaxy is my mainline game, so I'm really looking forward to getting into that game finally, but weirdly enough so halo infinite didn't launch until i'm I'm on the east coast so 1 p.m in the afternoon uh, this week on wednesday and that was kind of announced last minute so fuck you 343 but no all, all joking aside i was like oh fuck that sucks so on wednesday morning i was like 
I need something to play for like three hours while I wait for Halo Infinite to come out. So I just had a weird impulse. I was looking at the Game Pass list and I was like, Battlefield Hardline. I'm like, man, everyone loves Visceral, but they hate this fucking game. And it was the last thing they made before they got shut down. I'm like, I'm so curious what this game was like. And so for some reason, I just impulsively downloaded Battlefield Hardline. And I, I gotta say, obviously the game is multi, mostly deserted on, on multiplayer, but if you do browser server and select the, like the one or two servers that still is populated, this game is actually some of the most fun Battlefield game. And I just came off playing a bunch of Battlefield 2042, and I'm saying this. This game was actually some of the most fun Battlefield multiplayer, uh, probably since, like, Bad Company 1. I really loved Bad Company 1. Don't I know everyone likes the second one better. I like the second one, too, but I really liked the first one a lot for some reason. This game kind of reminds me of that. It's obviously not comedic and humorous in tone, but it's that kind of weird spin-off-y, untraditional Battlefield. It feels a little smaller in scale and scope, and I kind of like it a lot. So I played that for, like, an hour, and then I played the campaign of Battlefield Hardline for, like, an hour and a half. Got through, like, the first two, two and a half missions... Again, Battlefield Hardline is kind of fucking awesome. <laughs> like, I, I, I was just planning on, like, I just wanted to get a taste of it so I could be like, oh, yeah, I tried that game. I get why people don't like it. But, no, I, I actually like this game. Like, I, I want to get back to this and play this. It's such a weird game. It came out in the spring of 2015. It came and went. Everyone kind of trashed on it. And then Visceral got shut down, like, a year later. It's such a weird game to just have a random impulse to go back to. But I, I don't know, man. Like, this game is good. Like, this game is really good. Am I crazy? Like, Dead Captain James, I know you're out there. You you like Battlefield a lot. If, you, if you're listening, what did, what did you think about Battlefield Hardline? Anyone who played this game, please let me know, because I am now confused. Obviously, the game's aged a little bit. I can't believe how rough early Xbox One games look to me now. That's such a weird concept, because I remember them looking so good. I mean, obviously, you know, it's aged a little bit, but, like, this game is cool. The characters are interesting. The, the, the levels are really cool. Like, the story is, like, fun. It's just like I... A, a cop game with Battlefield and it shouldn't work, but it totally does. And I don't know, like if you were one of the people who actually played this game and didn't just write it off like I did because everyone was like, oh, this game sucks. Like, what what did you think about Battlefield Hardline? I don't know why, but this game is one of the more interesting Battlefield games, uh, which is funny because it came out at a time when Battlefield was kind of uninteresting because it came out after Battlefield 4, which was kind of meh. And then it came out before, I guess it, it was the Battlefield before Battlefield 1, which was really good. And then after that was Battlefield 5, which was kind of wah. And then after that was Battlefield 2042, which people are kind of divided on. I, I kind of like it. I don't know. Whatever. That's what I've been playing, guys. Let's, let's jump into some news. We've got so much shit to get through. So the Game Awards. Or actually, let's play. Let's play the transition pop. All right. So the Game Awards happened last night, late last night, 8 o'clock, fucking whatever. Always this, They always get me because I always like, oh, it starts at 7.30. And then you get there at 7.30 and they're like, here's the pregame awards. And the show starts in 30 minutes. Every year it gets me. Anyway, I live-streamed it last night. kind of wish I didn't because it was uh, exhausting. I was playing on watching it and then immediately recording the podcast, but by the time it was over, the show was like over three hours long. I was just like, fuck, I'm going to bed. I'll record tomorrow morning. So anyway, inside baseball. You don't need to know that. Keep it to yourself. So the Game Awards happen. Same thing as last year. Same thing as every year. About an hour too long. All this bullshit we didn't need. Why the fuck was Imagine Dragons there? But, but, we got a bunch of really cool announcements, guys, so... Um, I, I'm actually genu genuinely excited about a lot of what happened at the Game Awards, a lot of what was announced, rather. And we saw we saw the re-reveal of a game I kind of thought was basically vaporware at this point. So let's stop. T I, I kind of just took notes as it happened. So we're going to kind of go in roughly in order of how things were announced. So a lot of this is going to be just touching on it, moving on, and then we'll stop for the big things. So... 
I don't care about the awards. Uh, it takes two one game of the year. Who gives a shit? But game announcements. The first one we got was uh, King of Fighters 15. It's coming to Xbox on February 15th. Series X and everything below. So they showed a new trailer for that. Uh, fighting games. Xbox needs more of them. So that's good. I don't care. Then Sumo Nottingham. So Sumo Digital's Nottingham team announced that they're making a Texas Chainsaw Massacre multiplayer game. I assume this is another isometric 4v1 type game. Uh, We're seeing so many of these. I don't know why this is such a popular trend for everyone to be like, hey, let's grab a horror IP and then, you know, make a 4v1 isometric multiplayer game. It's just, I I get it. Dead by Daylight is huge. I get that. But like, man, oh man, the Friday the 13th one, there's the... Evil Dead one. There's like so so many of these. They just keep making them. They, it wasn't the Blair Witch one kind of like that. There's a Predator one. Fuck man, I don't. Whoa. So we got another one of those on the way. Always a different team. So Sumo Digital. These guys do some really great work, but they recently got a lot of investment money from Tencent, so I don't really care about them anymore. So next, this one's kind of weird because you'll remember years ago, Telltale Games kind of fell apart, and then they were revived. It's mostly the name that was revived. It's not really proper Telltale. Yeah, it was. Sorry, it was. Uh, LCG Entertainment got them. So they basically just got the name and some of the IP they had been working on. Um, and, you know, they announced that the Wolf Among Us 2 is is still, you know, coming back, even though that was kind of dropped when, when everything went under with them. So the thing is, we've seen yet, we have yet to see a proper release from these guys under the new Telltale. It's basically all new talent. Um, hopefully the engine that they're working in is a lot better than the old one, but... I mean, it's 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 Telltale in concept and in name, but not in execution. So we need to we need to wait till one of these games comes out to really see what it is, you know, how how good or bad these are. But they announced that they're working with Deck Nine, which is a team the team that made Life is Strange before the storm. They've worked with Don't Not a lot on very similar Telltale type games, Life is Strange games. So I, I like Deck Nine a lot. I think they're really good. So they're working with Telltale on a uh, on a Telltale Expanse game. So the Expanse, the Amazon TV show, I've never seen it, but I know people love it a lot. We're getting a Telltale game set in that universe. So that was announced. There was a um, and that got people hyped a little bit. We're kind of going back to the old Telltale way of like, hey, we're announcing a bunch of projects and nothing's really coming out, or everything will just kind of trickle out when it comes which I'm not a huge fan of. I wish they would just do one-and-done releases, but I assume... They didn't really say, but I assume this will be episodic. Now, Wishfully, a, a new a developer... I don't know if they're a new developer, but I've never heard of this. Um, they announced uh, a game called Planet of Lana. Console-exclusive, but it's possibly just timed, coming out in 2022. This game looks kind of cool. Uh, the The art style looked really good. It's, it's the composer that did um, uh, The Last Guardian on PlayStation. He's doing the music for this game. It's a very like artsy looking indie game, but it was it was cool. It's like this kid running around with this little robotic thing that looks kind of like the bad guy from Incredibles One, and these other bigger versions of that robot are like chasing him around this vast field and this big open world. Like not open world, it's a two D game, but whatever. It, it looks pretty. Uh, but it's it was announced for Xbox Series X. Probably gonna be a timed exclusive. Xbox is good about locking in those indie games for like six to twelve months sometimes. So. I assume this is going to be one of those, but that was announced for the first time, coming in 2022. Then we got a release date for Tunic. This game's been shown for so many years, I'm completely over it. Um, this is also a timed exclusive for Xbox Series X, um, coming March 16th. So Tunic, that little like Fox Zelda-looking like game. It looks very fun, looks very cute, but man, I'm so tired of seeing it, seeing it, it never comes out. 
So that finally got a release date. Uh, well, it's had release dates in the past. It's been delayed. But this is hopefully the last time we get to see the date. Uh, and then here's the first big one. Here's the first, like, whoa, hold on your hats, boys and girls. Now, the rumor was Hellblade 2 Senua's Saga would be there, and yes, it was. Jeff Keighley, the guy who runs the Game Awards, was very made it very clear, like, hey, this is going to look like a cinematic. This is not a cinematic. This is the game running. This is the actual game. Um, it looks very c- cinematic. I was also very skeptical about that, um, but they they showed it. And man, if if they're not yanking her chain at all, if this is really what the game looks like. This game, I, I wasn't as big into Hellblade as most people were. Like I thought it was a good game. I'm glad I played it, but I didn't need more of it. But I'll I'll be honest. I am now interested in playing the second one simply for the fact that it looks so beyond what we're used to seeing in terms of cinematic. It, it ups the ante so much. Yes, visually it looks very very stunning. But more importantly than that, it's the way that the camera kind of like pans and moves and holds at in transitions as things are happening. It really looks like, and I'm not talking about like, oh, it's so realistic. I'm talking about like, it does look realistic. But I'm talking about in terms of like camera work and fluidity and transition and movement. It looks exactly like a movie. And, and, and God, how many times have you heard someone say that over the years with video games? And then it ages bad because the game ages bad. <laughs> but no, I mean this this game like legitimately looks. I mean you need to watch this trailer, this this gameplay demo if you haven't. I'm not like super excited about the game, the game because again it's I didn't need more Hellblade. But I I'd be lying if I said I'm not exce- I'm not very excited to try it out for myself just because of the way they're directing this game is unlike literally anything I've ever seen. Like I mean obviously game you think of games like The Last of Us which are really cinematic and stuff. This looks a lot more movie-esque than, than that does, <laughs> and it's it's kind of crazy when you see it. I think this is going to be a really big get for Xbox if the game is good, which it probably will be. People really loved the first one, and this one is um, taking it to a level I don't think anyone's ever seen before in video games. You really This is a, whether you care about the game or not, this is a must-watch trailer. Um, this is really, really quite impressive. Still no date, just gameplay, so this game, like I said before, very, very prematurely announced. It was announced in 2019. So it was announced two years ago. Hopefully next time we see it. I think they, they said that we'll see more of it maybe next year. I don't know. I, I assume we'll see more of this probably at E3. Um, but we need to get a tentative date on this thing because it's been a while now. Next, we this was really cool. So we knew that Quantic Dream, the developer that used to work pretty closely with, with Sony... Uh, games like Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human. They they broken away from Sony, so they're making a multi-platform game, and we knew they were working in the Star Wars universe. So this game, I, I am someone who is so... I, I say this all the time on the podcast. I know a lot of you guys feel it as like movie fans and video game fans. I will say, as someone who is also a theme park fan, I am so Star Wars fatigued because the Walt Disney Company has made it their uh, their objective in life to make sure everyone is so sick of Star Wars to the point of like of like actual actual like terminal illness like I, I think about Star Wars I see Star Wars I just want to die like when when you go to Disney World you like trust me you don't think about Mickey Mouse you don't think about Walt Disney you don't think about princesses you think about fucking lightsabers and little robots and goddamn twenty five dollar um, snacks from the Star Wars universe like it is. So much Star Wars between all the Disney Plus shit, the theme park shit, of course, the movies, the video games. There's so much Star Wars overload everywhere, and I am so tired of Star Wars. That being said, Quantic Dream announced Star Wars Eclipse, and this looks like, without a doubt, the most interesting thing in the Star Wars universe I've seen. I, I'm not even I'm not even being hyperbolic. Probably since The Force Awakens, when everyone was like, oh, Star Wars is back. Like, this looks so cool, and... and 
look, I love Respawn. I liked uh, I liked Jedi Fallen Order a lot. That was a great game. This has me way more excited than Jedi Fallen Order because it is set in the High Republic era. It is a setting that 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 creatives just refuse to fucking touch with Star Wars. I'm so tired of everything in Star Wars being like, oh, it's that decrepit uh, original trilogy era era where everything looks broken and stupid and ugly, and it's all about Luke Skywalker, it's all about light sticks, and it's all about the same fucking four characters because it's a galaxy far, far away in a massive universe, but there's only apparently five people in it. This is a very, very cool setting for Star Wars. All new characters. High Republic era, era, it's very narrative-driven, so it's not going to be just about waving your sticks around and blasting the same three robots over and over again. It's going to be like an actual unique story told in the Star Wars universe where we focus on something other than the same goddamn Jedis over and over again. And I I honestly, I, I could not... If you told me like 24 hours ago, like, you're about to be really excited about something Star Wars-related, I'd be like, yeah, sh- yeah, fucking right, you know? But I am pumped for this game. This game looks so cool. In my opinion, Quantic Dream. I've, I, this is a developer I've always admired a lot, but I just don't have a lot of experience with their games. Now that they're multi-platform, this game is almost undoubtedly going to be on Xbox. This will be a day one purchase for me. I I will absolutely play this game. I highly highly recommend if you haven't already, you look into this game because it looks phenomenal. Very very prequels esque, which I, I like a lot because I think people people shy away from the prequels because the movies weren't that great, but like the world and the lore and kind of like the, the the aesthetic of that era of Star Wars I think is so under underserved and underutilized. It's it's ripe for so much good storytelling and they just everyone's like, nah, we'll just tell a story about the first two fucking movies because everyone's so creatively devoid that they can't move past Jabba the Hutt for some reason. But uh, anyway, moving on, trying to not be a dick to all the Star Wars fans out there. Um, Bethesda had a really fun... This is weird. Next, Bethesda had a really weird job ad it was like pete hines he came out and he was like he had like a rake and he was just like raking some leaves in his backyard and he's like hey we're bethesda we just want to let you know we have all these great studios and we're hiring and also here's a bunch of free game codes and they just started flashing a bunch of codes for free games to download xbox loves doing this so i guess now by extension bethesda is going to join the fun i think this is so fun that they do this but i found this to be quite odd that bethesda is basically taking the game awards as an opportunity to be like hey guys we're hiring let's market this to the world because the vi- the video the video game awards is like the game award event for the public. This is like for audiences like us, right? If you're talking about like the prestigious like trying to talk to the industry more so, that's that's what like the BAFTA awards and like the VGAs and shit or the sorry, the BAFTA awards are for uh like the Dice awards and things like that. The VGAs are like a lot more for the public. So, I think that's really important to note is Bethesda's clearly target marketing and they're they went to the event where it's to the general audience, to the general public. And I just find that interesting. That's like, why is Bethesda publicly marketing? Like, Hey, we have all these teams and we're hiring, you know, it's like, I, I, I get it. Like everything in post pandemic world, it's like companies need employees, blah, blah, blah. It's usually shitty jobs only. Like you go to your local fucking CVS pharmacy and they're like, please, we'll pay you $9 an hour. Please work here. So like, I, we get that the good jobs are nowhere to be found. Uh, believe it or not. Um, so it is weird when you see Bethesda and all their amazing companies they own and all their amazing gaming brands and and teams and they're just like hey guys we're hiring uh please it's like you guys didn't have a mass exodus during covid you guys aren't like strapped for talent like what i i don't i don't know what to make of this like why why did this happen and what am i supposed to take away from this that but that is the showed up at the game awards not to announce a new game not to give us a new look at starfield 
but to be like, hey, we're hiring. Please apply. Any of these companies, uh, fucking any of them, we're, we're looking for people to work here. And I just can't get past how odd that was, in my opinion. But it was cute. It was funny. But yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's more to that. And I'm just not quite sure what to make of it. Uh, next, Monolith uh, went. So we haven't seen a game from these guys since uh, Shadow of War. They were making those two um, Lord of the Ring games. People really, really loved with the Nemesis system. Um, so they're back with another game, WB Games. And much to my brother's chagrin, it is it is Wonder Woman. So another WB Games team working on a uh, DC superhero franchise. We're seeing a lot of this. This is kind of you know kind of like how all the teams are like, oh, we're making Marvel games. We're making Marvel games. You know, Insomniac, Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal. All these teams were all making Marvel games. Now we got. Pretty much everyone at WB except for Avalanche, who's making Harry Potter, of course. They're all working on DC superhero games. Even, even, um, even, uh, why am I blanking? The fucking Mortal Kombat devs, whatever. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking. Even they make a DC game when they're not making Mortal Kombat with Injustice. So, um, quite interesting here that they have gone almost all in on the DC. I mean, I guess it makes sense. The Batman games have done very well for them. Um, uh, uh, Justice League killed the, or um, uh, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Looks really, really promising. So I, I, I get it. It's where the money is, you know, go that way. But these games take a long time to make and they can't all be hits at some point. in this might be a stupid point to make because it hasn't, been this way in the movie space but at some point you gotta think the market's gonna be like hey we're tired of all these superhero games stop and these games are gonna start bombing uh more like uh more like avengers did um but i mean right now i guess people are hungry for this shit i'm about to go play guardians of the galaxy so i I mean who am i to say this but i know for some people this is disappointing it's like okay you guys are making these really awesome lord of the rings games now no one's making lord of the rings games and you're making yet another um dc superhero game i'm sure it will be cool i'm excited i'm interested to see what this game is when it's far along enough in development that we actually finally get gameplay of it but i mean if you're at wb now you have almost everyone working on dc superheroes we got that new batman arkham knights game we got suicide squad kill the justice league and now we got wonder woman on top of that and then you know uh injustice gods among us will probably be the next game over at man that's that's driving me nuts how am i forgetting the name of the fucking mortal Kombat developer nether realm god damn that dude that that drove me nuts anyway so that was that i i'm not disappointed but i am intrigued i i recently watched the wonder woman movies i think there's probably a pretty cool game you can make out of wonder woman so i'm you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but again, it's it's this opportunity cost where it's like we're not because you're making all DC superhero games. That means you can't make Harry Potter games, you can't make Lord of the Rings games, you can't make more other <laughs> Lego games that aren't <laughs> related to DC, you know, characters. It's just we're just getting so much of this like same pool house uh, or um, same pool of uh, of IP, and it's uh, I don't know. We're, we're approaching a point where like half the games industry is it's become like the movie industry where half the games industry is just superhero games um and they're they're usually pretty good but man i'd, I'd sure like to see some original ip speaking of original ip next up this is this was a a genuine surprise i i know there were rumors about this coming and everyone's expecting at some point but the way in which it was revealed and the reality of what it is let me stop teasing Alan Wake 2 was announced. Now, obviously, people were rumored that they were making an Alan Wake sequel and, you know, with the Alan Wake universe crossing over into Controls universe so much, and with Alan Wake Remaster coming out recently, everyone's like, okay, they're, they're working up to a sequel to Alan Wake. So, in that regard, it wasn't surprising, but the way they, the way they um, 
revealed it. I mean, the writer, the creator of the Alan Wake series, Sam Lake from uh, from Remedy, came out on stage and was like, this game is a survival horror game. Like, this isn't, like, the first Alan Wake obviously had some horror elements to it, but this is, like, a straight-up survival horror game. So I, I love this because everything Remedy does is so narrative-driven that clearly there's there's so, and i never finished alan wake one so unfortunately I, I can't understand it fully but um i love this that like there's such a narrative driven team that they clearly have a big ambitious twist and in, in place to bring this story and to bring this universe and they feel like the gameplay genre that the ip is is not served by by the narrative and therefore they need to change the genre of this ip i i love that i wish developers did more of this shit i, I know it's risky you know, especially because survival horror is such a niche thing. But when you have a game like Control, which is a little more action, it's nice to have some variety in your lineup uh, because we know that we're getting more control. But this is, I don't know, I, I really wish games did this more. Like, I talk about this all the time with IP I love, like like Halo. Like, like okay, well, let's talk about the next step in the Halo universe. Like, what happened in between Halos 5 and Halo Infinite? Like, like the, there's a book called Halo Bad Blood that explains a lot about what happened in between Halo 5 and Infinite. I would love if that wasn't a book, but rather a video game. It's like, you can make that a squad-based tactics action game, and it would be so cool, and it would push forward the main story of the Halo universe, and it could focus on different characters, and it's using a different genre to serve the narrative purpose. It's like, right now, at this point in the Halo universe, we don't have a story about Master Chief fighting the Covenant or whatever. We have a story about this squad of some Spartans, some ODST, special ops, this one guy who's in jail, whatever, all banding together to 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 do this one purpose. And it's like how can we come up with a creative way to serve to serve that narrative with an interesting genre. It can't necessarily be a first person shooter because it just doesn't make sense for the story. And I, I love that idea of like we need to twist the genre of the game. It's very expensive, very it's it's a very like big undertaking to pull off something like this, but I, I fucking love it. And that's how you know you have a team that, that is serving the universe and the story first, is that they're willing to make those kinds of changes and sacrifices. Like, this is the story we want to tell, but, you know, making the same kind of game we made last time doesn't necessarily serve that story. And I think that's super exciting, super cool. Alan Wake is, like, really high up on that list of games that's just permanently in my backlog. I haven't gotten around to it. No excuse. I love Remedy. I've played most of their games. Um... I just, I, I don't know why, I just never seem to get around to this game, and it drives me nuts. But uh, they said we'll get more info on it next summer, and it's currently penned for a 2023 release date. So that's going to be all multi-platform, so unlike the first one, it's not exclusive to Xbox Series X, of course. But, God, that that was a really like big out-of-left-field kind of announcement. Next, we got the movie trailer for the Sonic 2 movie. Now, we already knew this movie was coming out April 8th. We already knew that we were going to get this trailer at the Game Awards. They, they teased it earlier in the week. Now, of course, I this was the first thing that made me scream and, and, and gasp like a little kid. But yeah, man, this this looks great. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are like, what the fuck, dude? Sonic, who gives a shit? I don't care. I loved the first one. I thought it was very good for what it was. There's a million ways they could have fucked it up, and they somehow didn't. And the second one also looks very good. They're leaning a little more into the gamey shit. They got tails and knuckles. And it's a lot more about like the furry creatures fighting Dr. Eggman instead of like, instead of the, um, like the kind of human Sonic combination relationship <clears throat> that was a little more intimate that the first one had. So we'll see how that pans out. I have a good feeling this movie's not going to 
do well critically. I think you see that a lot with these kinds of things where it's like the first one comes out, it's like based on a TV show or a movie or like an older movie or a video game or something that's like, oh, that's just a cash grab for families and for kids, right? And then it either goes one of two ways. Either the first one comes out, it sucks, it tanks, and you never hear from it again, or the first one comes out, surprisingly does all right, and so they greenlight a sequel and then the sequel sucks because they only had enough like motivation and inspiration to do one go of it, but because you know the way movies work is if it makes any sort of money, you have to do a sequel. So I, I don't know. I have a pretty big feeling just kind of the way history has has proven itself with these kinds of things, like, like the Smurfs movie and shit like that, that it's going to be like, oh, they made a sequel – it critically flopped compared to the first one. A lot less people saw it, and then the Sonic movie stopped being made. So, I don't know. The fact that the first one's good is kind of a miracle in its, of itself, so part of me is just like, leave it alone. Just let Sonic have this one thing that doesn't suck, that people don't totally hate. Just let it be. But no, they gotta make a sequel because Hollywood, and I get it. And listen, personally, as a Sonic fan, I'm excited for it. I'll probably enjoy it. I like Cars 2, so who gives a shit what I think? But uh, I, the trailer looked good. I'm excited for it. I'm ready for it. So, that was, that was a little... Nice little nugget of news for me. The next thing, technically this is not Xbox related. I have to mention this because this is driving me nuts. It, it is inadvertently Xbox related. They showed Final Fantasy VII Remake and announced, hey, it's coming to the Epic Game Store on PC December 16th. So it'll be out in a week. It's coming to Epic Game Store, not Steam. There you go. I am furious, furious, furious about this. Um, dude, I've been waiting. I... I genuinely want to play this game. I want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake so bad. I'm probably going to have to bite the bullet and just get it on PlayStation eventually, but, like, I am mad, man. Like, we know Sony pumped some money into this game. We know they had a timed exclusive deal with it. I get it. Now I'm wondering, what the fuck did Sony do? What kind of hand job did Sony give Square Enix to be like, listen, this game, timed exclusive on PlayStation, it can come to PC at some point in time. It can never come to Xbox. Don't you dare put it on Xbox. I will. I will beat your firstborn child into fucking, uh, into fucking like submission if you if you ever put this game even remotely close to an Xbox. I don't even want a copy of the PlayStation 4 disc to be within a hundred meters of an Xbox console. Like it's they are that serious about it, and it's driving me nuts because the implication, the way it was talked about, and the way it was marketed, and the way they Square basically put it was like, yeah, it's timed exclusive for a year on PlayStation. Blank. Then it'll come to whatever. You know, Square Enix is the same publisher that did Rise of the Tomb Raider. And what happened with Rise of the Tomb Raider? It was a one-year timed exclusive on Xbox. And then to the date, a year later, they're like, boom, it's on PlayStation. Boom, it's on PC. Why Why don't we get that same thing with Final Fantasy? Why does it go one way but not the other? So, like, PlayStation gamers had to wait for Tomb Raider a year. It sucks. I'm not a fan of it. But it happened, and eventually they got it. That's good. Xbox fans just miss out on Final Fantasy VII Remake altogether. Fuck you. End of story. That's it. I was completely happy and fine and, and, and okay to wait a year for the game to come to Xbox. And then this past spring, a year passed, and I was like, where is it? And now, a year and a half later, we're like, oh, it's coming to PC. I'm like, okay, what the fuck about Xbox? And, at, dude, at this point, I'm just, I'm actually furious. This is the one Final Fantasy game I know I want to play. I know I will enjoy. I know I will just play from start to finish the moment I get my hands on it. Like, I, I know this is one of those rare Japanese games where I'm actually going to play it to completion, enjoy the hell out of it, and I want to play it. And I know it's like, Jesse, you're just being stupid. Like, you have a PS4, just it's like 20 bucks on PS4, just fucking play it on PS4 if you really want to play the game. That's literally the reason why you have a PS4. But at this point, it's it's not even about, like, do I have access to the game or not? It's, it's kind of like, 
It's 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 about the principle of it all. I'm just like, guys, this was an implied times exclusive. It was implied that it was coming to Xbox. It was kind of widely understood. And then at some point in the middle of this one year of timed exclusivity, it just talks about it coming to Xbox just kind of got squashed. Like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm holding out now on principle. I just don't want to give them money for this game on PlayStation. Not because I don't like PlayStation. No disrespect to PlayStation, but it's like... This is unex- this is inexcusable. I'm I'm salty. Uh, next, uh, Bokeh Game Studios, which I believe is a new Japanese studio, um, announced Slitterhead, which is this really like I don't usually get like turned off by horror um, like trailers and shit. I don't go out of my way to watch horror or play horror games, but usually I'm just like, oh, I saw a trailer for it. I'm not going to play that. I'm not going to see that. But whatever, I don't care. This game kind of made my stomach turn a little bit. There was some, like, graphic shit. Like, these, this was creepy. This game is a genuinely a creepy Japanese horror game. It, like, shows this little, like, old woman standing outside on her patio or whatever, or on her balcony, and, like, her just face turns into, like, a monster, and it's fucking creepy with, like, her, like, cheeks split open, her tongue sticking out like venom, and then her face just kind of, like, molds back into normal, and she's just, like, this smiling old woman. And I'm like, that's fucking creepy, and I don't want this game to exist, and I, I'm gonna go play Halo Infinite because it's a lot less terrifying, and I'm scared, but this game exists. It was announced, no release date or platform uh, release, but I'm assuming it will come to Xbox, and kind of hoping it doesn't because uh, I'm scared of it, but that is Slitterhead. Next, a new Canadian team of uh, of veteran devs called Inflection Games announced a game called Nightingale. It is a survival crafting shared world game. I thought this game looked pretty cool at first until they said it's a survival crafting shared world game. I don't know. I like the art style a lot. The characters are cool. The game world looks interesting, but I have just zero interest in shared world, survival, crafting, anything. Those are like the three buzzwords to get Jesse to never play your game. I understand the Game Awards is not something that is meant for me and only me. I understand there's a little something for everyone. So to someone out there, this is probably a great game for them. I'm happy for you. I just... uh because of that information, because the developer is Canadian, and because of that information about a survival crafting share world game, I'm completely turned off, and I have zero interest in, uh, zero inspiration to talk about this game, but I think aesthetically the game looks really cool, um, definitely worth a trailer watch to see if that's something you'd be into. Uh, next, we got a trailer for Gollum uh, Untold Story, which is actually a Lord of the Rings game, so I guess I, I lied a minute ago when I said there were no Lord of the Rings games in development, but uh, we've known about this game for a couple of years now. This is the first trailer we've gotten for it. Still no release date, still no update on it, just kind of one of those trailers that's like cinematic and saying, hey, it, it still exists. I'm like, okay, don't care. Uh, next, we saw a trailer for Somerville, by Jump Ship, that is, of course, the team made up of old Play Dead Games guys, the guys that made Inside and Limbo. Um, this, just like Inside and Limbo, is has that timed Xbox exclusivity thing, so it's supposed to come out next year, 2022. Um, it will probably be 6 or 12 months on Xbox exclusivity, um, but of course, this game will actually come to PlayStation, unlike Final Fantasy VII Remake, which will never come to Xbox, so Xbox gamers, don't worry, even though it kind of sucks for PlayStation gamers that they don't get it right off the bat, at least they will get it eventually. At least they're not going to be like me and just be wondering why, why, what did I do wrong? Is this because I tripped that kid in the third grade uh, for picking on me and calling me ugly? Is this God's way of punishing me all these years later for doing that? What the fuck? Am I really that bad a person? I know I've made my mistakes, but I try to be good. I try to put good into this world. I try not to tear people down, but there you go. There you go. You can't play Final Fantasy VII on an Xbox, the most powerful console in the fucking world. Phil Spencer, get on the phone. Make it happen. I know you got friends over there in Japan. Make it fucking happen. Um, 
Anyway, then they did uh, one of those Game Award things where they wasted everyone's time with music numbers and a stage presentation, and they announced Cuphead Delicious Last Course. Well, they didn't announce because this game, this DLC, which seems more like an expansion or like a large DLC, was announced forever ago, and we just keep talking about it and talking about it, but it never comes out. It's been delayed. It now has a date on it, June 30th next year, so it's coming out. And I feel so stupid. I just now noticed after like 57 years of this, of this DLC being announced. It's a play on words. Delicious Last Course, which is the initials are DLC. Very creative. Uh, I like that a lot. Very cute. But yeah, they did a whole waste five minutes of your life with a music number on that. I know people really love Cuphead, so I'm excited for everyone that they're getting more of that. So that finally got a date in a new trailer and a stage presentation that we didn't need. And then the most important announcement of the entire night, hands down, without a doubt. I'm not even joking. I know a lot of you, even once I say the name of this game, are going to think I'm, I'm joking. I'm being silly. I'm being facetious. I genuinely mean this. Now that Halo Infinite is out into the wild and people can download and play it and it's available, I genuinely mean this is the most important game coming up in the next year. This is, there's literally, I don't give a shit. I don't care if they make a fucking game that when you play it, it, it guarantees you a spot in heaven in real life. I don't care. This is the most important game on the horizon. And it is Sonic Frontiers. Guys, I knew Sega was teasing stuff, but I thought they were just talking about the Sonic movie. I really didn't think they were going to show this, and I'm so pumped. Now, of course, we all thought this summer it was called Sonic Rangers when they teased it, but no, it is Sonic Frontiers, like some of the leaked documentation suggested. Uh, I like Sonic Rangers a little more, but Sonic Frontiers, I think, is more fitting for what we know of the game. So they showed a CG trailer with Sonic running through the forest, kind of like what we saw last time, but they showed more of like this ominous, dark, like mechanical... Um, spirit machine thing chasing it and you hear Tails' voice like saying Sonic, Sonic, run, whatever and it's like whatever, okay, we kind of saw some of that already but then they show what definitely looks like in-engine footage because it's you can see the frame rate's a little stuttery and it's, it looks like a work in progress. You, would, you wouldn't show this if it were a pre-rendered cutscene. It looks I'm 99% sure this is in-engine. They show vistas and panning views of all the various locales and locations of the game and this is what the rumors said it was. This is Sonic the Hedgehog meets Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I would say, I, I would go a step further. I'd say it looks like Sonic the Hedgehog meets Zelda Breath of the Wild meets uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Where it has a very realistic, open world, kind of like decaying, ancient looking open world kind of style with like sounds and aesthetic touches of like Shadow of the Colossus. The music and the and the art style are nothing like what we're used to from Sonic, uh, but we still do have uh, Otani, Mr. Otani, I forget his first name, Tomoe something Otani, which is our long-standing uh, Sonic composer who makes, I'm, I'm not joking, again, you guys are thinking I'm going to be facetious on this, I genuinely mean this with all the passion in my heart, makes some of the absolute... Uh, best video game music in the history of, 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 of scoring video games. Like, this guy's fucking phenomenal. His work on Sonic Unleashed is easily top three soundtracks of all time in any video game. I don't care what you say. Probably just Mario Galaxy, Sonic Unleashed, and Halo 3. I don't know. But yeah, he's, he's still doing the music. Uh, T-Loops did some of the music for the trailer, which sounded really good. It's beautiful. It's kind of, it's kind of like a like a decrepit, old, ancient civilization kind of haunting tone and feeling to it, which... I'm not crazy about because I prefer Sonic when it's a little cartoony like Sonic uh, Unleashed, but I don't think they're going to go 
like Sonic 06 realistic with it, where there's going to be like a human girl that Sonic makes makes out with or something like that. Uh, I, th- I think they're going to definitely... He- here's the big thing. He- here's what matters the most. Above the music, above the fact that we're getting an open-world Sonic game, which even though I usually don't like open-worlds, I think works for Sonic because he's all about running fast, and so giving him complete free reign in a massive world to run around makes total sense for this character. The thing that has me most excited about this game is... They're not getting a Saturday morning cartoon writer for it. They're not getting someone who doesn't have experience with Sonic to write it. They're not getting, like, Japanese Sonic team writers who don't understand the character to write it. They're getting Ian Flynn to write this game, who is, of course, as you all know, the writer of originally the Archie Sonic comic that everyone loved, and then that folded, and now the IDW Sonic comic, uh, which is really exciting because the, the current run of Sonic comics actually ties into the video game universe, so it's all tied together. And he is I mean, undoubtedly the best Sonic stories, uh, aside from Sonic Unleashed and uh, Sonic... Yeah, Sonic Unleashed. Aside from Sonic Unleashed, the best Sonic stories ever written are all from Ian Flynn. He understands these characters the best. He leaves out the Japanese campiness. He leaves out the cringe. He leaves out the cutesy little kitty stuff. He makes it like just a normal story where it's like fun and believable, but also cute and endearing. And he's going to bring that that Sonic comic book writing that we all know and love, if you're a Sonic fan, into the Sonic video games for the first time, which is something that Sonic fans have only been asking for for like 15 years now. So this is beyond exciting that, you know, usually Sega uh, are pretty good at sabotaging everything they do except for like Yakuza and Persona. So it's kind of weird yet exciting to see them kind of doing right by Sonic. The only thing I could say at this point is take all the time you need If you need to delay this game by another year like Halo Infinite did, do it. Take all the time, polish this game, make it fleshed out. This has the potential to be more like a Sonic Unleashed Sonic Adventure and less like a Sonic Forces Sonic 06. So please, by the love of God, just do this game right. I'm so excited for this game. Anyway, next up, we got a in-depth gameplay trailer uh, for Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League, uh, which still doesn't have a firm release date. I think that one's... Is that the one coming out in 2023 and then Gotham Knights is 2022? Yeah, this one's the 2022 one. And this one's the one that is, um, this one's the one that's next gen only. So it's not coming to previous gen. I I will say I was already interested in this game. I already thought this game looked really good. This game looks fantastic. I, I, I'm very excited for this game. I, I said on the show, I've watched all the DC superhero movies this year to kind of get caught up on all that. And, um, I guess that kind of has nothing to do with what I'm saying, but I'm a little more traditionally not a DC guy, but I'm a little more warmed up to these characters now than I used to be. And I don't know. I think this game just looks like a shit ton of fun. It looks very funny. It looks like it's very well written. I don't know. Suicide Squad. I mean, maybe this is just because James Gunn's involvement with both franchises, but Suicide Squad feels very much like DC's Guardians of the Galaxy, right? I mean, obviously, I think James Gunn working on both in the movie universe has a lot to do with that association, that that uh, connection. But this game, it, it's got a lot of funny writing. The trailers themselves are actually funny. The characters are good. Um, and it looks like a really well-polished, very cinematic and fun-to-play action game. And I, I'm this is actually pretty high on my list for next year. I'm very excited for this game. So we got a nice little gameplay demo of that. Or gameplay trailer, rather. <clears throat> then next up, we got a pretty... Pretty deep cut announcement. Focus Home Interactive and Saber Interactive announced Warhammer Space Marine, Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2, which is now this is uh, set to the. I mean, this is a deep cut because people have been my, my brother being one of them. People have been waiting for this this sequel for a long time. This is one of those like we want it, but it's never coming kind of games. 
and hey, they announced it. Now, it doesn't have a release date yet, but it looks badass. Like, I, like the trailer is definitely worth a watch. It's got, like, big mecha suit guys, and they got big guns, and it looks very action-y and very, very AAA and well-polished. Now, of course, Saber Interactive... Um, these guys have a lot of experience. They do a lot of like additional support work on big games, so they've they've helped with like porting and um, and um, outsourced work for games like Halo and Witcher and Crisis and things like that. So this is actually one of their bigger. This is actually one of their bigger projects, uh, or one of the bigger teams that gets to work on the Warhammer um, series. No offense to Fat Shark, who normally does most of these games, but. I know people are pretty damn excited about this, and I'm excited for them. I I, I don't know that I'll give it a try. I may, I hope it's on Game Pass at some point or something, because I, I would like to. Um, but it looks pretty damn good. And so that was one of those like unexpected but welcomed kind of announcements. Next up, we got another trailer for Saints Row, which we know got delayed. Now its release date is August 23rd next year. Um, this was more of like a gameplay-focused trailer. It looks like next-gen Saints Row, like, 2 or 3, uh, which I think people will be pretty pleased about because people really love those Saints Row games. I've never really played them, never got really into them. When they first announced it, I thought I would be interested in it, and then when I saw the gameplay last night, I was like, eh, oh, I'm fine. But, uh, yeah, I know people There, some people were pretty upset about the game at first, but I hope after the gameplay trailer, fans are more satiated. Uh, next, they announced Metal Hellsinger, which is coming to Xbox Series X next year in 2022. I have almost nothing to say about this one. It is like a, um, it's like a rhythm-based, like, Doom Slayer hell shooting arena game, uh, but it's, it's a rhythm-based game, and you play it to, like, to like metal famous metal artists songs i mean i think that concept is really cool and the game looks aesthetically awesome i just can't imagine this being a thing that i'm ever going to play or care about but it uh i i give them props i love the idea of melding these two things together and i think it looks very very cool um i don't know it just kind of seems like the thing that kind of gets announced and comes and goes but that's coming out next year on xbox so then they announced star trek resurgence which is actually an epic game store or pc game coming out Oh, I thought this was coming to Xbox. It doesn't actually look like it's coming to Xbox at all. So, in that case... Okay, but it is, it's being developed by Dramatic Labs, which is an indie team that is like ex-Telltale talent. That's why I thought it was... Okay, that's why I thought it was... Okay, I was completely wrong on that. So, it's made by a team that's made up of ex-Telltale developers, and it is... So, oh, it is coming to Xbox. It's coming out in spring on Xbox, PC, PlayStation, everything. Okay, so, man, I, I had all the wrong information on that game. I don't know how I missed that, but... They announced Star Trek Resurgence, and it's coming out next spring, so Telltale's only got two things, I think, in the pipeline then. But basically another Telltale game, just in terms of what it is. Next, Iron Galaxy, which is actually a dev that has a team here in Orlando, where I live. Um, I think their main team is in Chicago. Uh, announced, they usually do a lot of port work and things like that, and support stuff. They don't usually make their own games, so this is pretty cool, but they're making their own game. I wish it were more interesting, but it's called Rumbleverse, and it looks like some cartoon Fortnite looking disgusting battle royale thing yeah as a 40 person melee focused battle royale game uh, I, I cannot be brought to care about this i know sometimes we're wrong about these things we see games like knockout city and they're actually surprisingly pretty cool and pretty fun but like god damn it dude like this is uh i'm just so tired of like the hey we can do Fortnite 2 kind of kind of move that we just keep getting over and over and over again and it's just, uh, fuck. I mean, Epic Games is actually publishing it, so it'll be on the Epic Game Store and, of course, PlayStation Xbox. 
but it just it looks so fucking cringy with all these like cartoony characters that all have like the the blue hair and the spiky patches and shit and they're all just like running around and jumping on each other and battle royaling and shaking their hips and Fortnite dancing and I'm like man if there's some kid out there who's really getting their kicks on this shit like good for you enjoy the games you enjoy but like god damn do we really do we really need more of this especially where like Ubisoft is making like a battle royale every day and they're all failing and then they just move on to the next one it's we'll see you know no one saw Fortnite coming until it was big, right? So maybe Rumbleverse is the next big one. Who knows? Uh, next, we got another trailer for Plague Tale Requiem, which was already previously announced, but confirmed 2022 release. That will be on Xbox Series X. I know people really love Plague Tale Innocence. That's another game that's kind of like in my backlog. I'm like, I need to get around to that. But um, yeah, I, I, pe people are very excited about this game, I, I know. So we got another look at that. Uh, it looks like more Plague Tale from what, you know, from my untrained, unsophisticated eye of someone who's never experienced these games. But then next we got what I would consider, outside of Sonic, to be the biggest announcement of the night, at least Xbox related. Just because this is like, oh my god, it's real, it's happening. But finally, after a year of delay and a year of complete silence, we finally got an updated gameplay-focused trailer of Crossfire X. Now... Of course, Crossfire X is the big Korean um, multiplayer shooter game made by Smilegate. But Remedy, the guys that make Alan Wake and Control and Max, Mad Max and all that, or Mad Max, Max Payne, <laughs> um, are making the first ever campaign, first person shooter campaign, which is very weird for Remedy. And we've been waiting for this game forever. It was announced as kind of like a launch window game that never came out. And now it's coming out February 10th, 2022. So in two months. Um, actually exactly two months to the day I'm recording this. So God, I can't wait. This campaign looks so fucking cool, man. I just, I do. I love a good first person shooter and this just looks like a really solid, fun first person shooter. And if remedy is able to bring any of their storytelling talent to this game, it is going to be a great game. So that's coming out February 10th. We finally got a new trailer. I swear to God, if it gets delayed again, I will scream until... And usually I'm I'm on team, like, delay a game, keep delaying it until you, as long as you need to. But the only reason I don't want this game to get delayed isn't because I can't wait to play it. I, I mean, I can. I'm excited for it. But more because every time this game gets delayed, it just disappears and no one ever says anything. And it just feels like this game's not actually happening. And every time Remedy opens their mouths, they only ever talk about, like, Control or a new deal they made with Epic or the new Alan Wake game or something like that. They're never talking about this game. So I'm like, who's making this game? Where is it? I only want it to come out so badly right now because I, I just want to secure this game's place in existence. I just want to make sure that it is indeed a real game and that I'm not just hallucinating every time we talk about it on this podcast um, because it looks it looks great. And I'm really excited to play it. That'll be a Game Pass game, and I, I believe I believe they announced that as a Game Pass game. Either way, um, the multiplayer is free to play, so the campaign is probably going to be, or even if it's not on Game Pass, probably reduced price. Yeah, it's really excited about that. Please go check out the new trailer. Support our boys over at Remedy Entertainment. And uh, next, they announced. God, I don't know how to read this. It's Chorus or Corvus or something. Rise of One, I, I didn't know what to make of this game, and I'm just going to move on, but they announced that it's a trailer, and I couldn't get any info on it because I couldn't spell it, but uh, <laughs> next up, we got our first trailer, and this is a big this is a big one, a, 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 big, a big one for Xbox, our first trailer for the Halo TV show that is coming next year to Paramount Plus now. I saw a really funny thing um, from one of the guys that works at Windows Central who's like, ah, yes, <laughs> Halo, Halo's TV show is exclusive to Paramount+, Plus, a streaming service that is not available in Europe. 
So um, I didn't know that was the case, but apparently there's like no way for people in Europe to even watch the show. I don't know if maybe it's going to be on another network there or something, but that's fucking crazy <laughs> that you're doing a Halo TV show and you're just like, yeah, fuck it, U- U.S. viewers only. Like, there's there's got to be some workaround to that. But no, the um, we got a little tease of it um, earlier in the week, and then and then you know obviously now we're getting the um, proper trailer. I think aesthetically they're nailing this. It looks very good. It looks very very good. All the art style, all the costuming, all the um, practical effects, and the the use of practical effects with with CG and everything. Um, practical effects, I just mean by like costuming, really. <laughs> but um, the show looks like it looks the part. Um, I mean, we'll have to see how the acting and the storytelling and the writing and the directing and everything is. Obviously, that's a whole another conversation, but. I'm usually pretty worried about like video games being translated to um, watchable media, particularly with movies. But I'm usually a lot less apprehensive with the TV show stuff because generally, one, when we get video games made in TV shows or Netflix series or whatever, they're usually either one, pretty good, or two, not nearly as bad because you have the benefit of making a ton of episodes, really stretching the story out, telling the things you need to tell, exploring the characters, exploring the world. So TV is a lot more like video games than movies are like video games because games are slower, games are longer, games take their time for you to explore and to ingest all the world building, whereas movies are like, we got an hour and 40 minutes, let's fucking go, let's fucking go. Who's Master Chief? Who gives a shit? Who's Cortana? Doesn't matter. We just need to have a big explosion right now. All I fucking know is we got an hour long and we need Michael Bay right here with explosives. I don't give a shit. Someone get Alec Baldwin in here. We need some We need some fucking action. And it's just like, okay, well, that movie ended up sucking. See Prince of Persia, see Hitman, see Fantastic Four, which isn't a video game, but fuck it, it sucked. See, like, every time Hollywood's ever tried to make a goddamn video game movie with the exception of Sonic the Hedgehog, we love you, and I don't think Detective Pikachu counts. Um, because it's a story with a video game character, it's not a story based on a video game. I, whatever, who gives a shit, that's semantics. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I should be more excited or aware of this than I am. But, like, my thing is, like, we've just been waiting for, like, a Halo movie or TV show for so many years now, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It, it's kind of like Crossfire X, if I had to wait even longer, where I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you. And I, I know it's real, I know it's actually going to come out this time, we got trailers, they've made too much of it for it to not happen. But, I don't know, I'm, I will subscribe to Paramount Plus when this show comes out, I will watch it, um, and hopefully then I'm excited about it, but right now I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it looks good. I don't really know that I want a Halo TV show. But it looks like they're doing a good job. And we know this is kind of their telling of the Halo universe. So it's not going to be one-to-one with the games and the books. And we know that, you know, which I think is a good idea. I think you should try to you should try to tell a version of the story that is better suited for TV rather than forcing the game story to work on TV. So I'm okay with that. Um, I just I just don't know that I need another retelling of the Halo universe. I'm, I'm happy with what we're getting in the games right now, especially just coming off of Halo Infinite. Like, I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, generally with where the Halo story is, and I just, I, I don't know. I don't I don't need to sit down necessarily and watch it, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it looks really good. People seem really excited. I'm happy about that. Um, but yeah, another video game thing is being made into a, a watchable TV thing, and that's that's good for those who, you know, I, I think it's good for brand awareness. It's, it's a way to get people who don't play video games to be like, oh, I know Halo. Oh, I like Halo, you know? 
So it, this can make people who no longer play video games but remember Halo from back in the day or just don't play video games at all but know of Halo because it's a big popular thing. If this can get more people to be like, oh, Halo, Halo's cool, you know, mom, 50-year-old mom didn't want to play Halo um, 10 years ago, but she's open-minded to watching a TV show. You know, it's like, okay, cool. It's getting a new demographic, play, people that otherwise wouldn't give this property a try the opportunity to get involved and to, to grow to love this like I, I i respect it from that point of view from that point of view i'm like cool i'm all about making great things more accessible to new people so more people can enjoy this great thing like that's that's awesome but personally as a video game fan i'm like eh, we'll watch it when it comes out i don't i don't really have anything to say until then um next we got i think McGinnis book of world records came out on stage and said, Oh my God, you fucking done it. Jeff Keeley. You did it. You did it. Dark souls guys from software. That's what I'm trying to say. You guys successfully made, uh, the 900th game trailer for Elden ring. This game has shown up, uh, for the billionth fucking time. Uh, congratulations. We got to take everyone's picture and put it in next year's print of the book because they showed another goddamn Elden Ring trailer. That game comes out in like one or two months, and I know people are super hyped about it. Good for you. I, oh, I just don't care about Elden Ring. I'm so tired of seeing it. I'm so happy that it's almost out so we can stop seeing it. But, yeah, they showed Elden Ring again, and that's awesome. I know people are so pumped about that game, but okay. And then it won an award for being like most hyped game or some shit like that. Um, and then Embark Studios, a nude studio from Sweden, announced a game called Arc Raiders. Um, it's coming out next year. It'll be on Series X. This game, I don't, I don't know how I feel about. It. They, sh they showed, first of all, they showed a lot of gameplay, which I thought was cool. It's got a little bit of a Death Stranding vibe, a little bit of a Starfield vibe, but this game visually looks stunning, um, and I really like the kind of like '70s futurism kind of look they're doing, like uh, with it. I think it looks really cool. Um, I don't really get what the game is and I don't know what to make of it, but I'm really hoping this game is something special. It's got a lot of like seventies sci-fi kind of slant to it. And it's a, uh, apparently it's like a free to play co-op game. I don't really know what to make of that, but it's supposed to come out sometime next year. I, uh, I'm definitely interested in, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to play this, but I'm definitely interested in keeping tabs on it to see kind of like what it evolves into and what ends up becoming of this game because at least aesthetically I'm really intrigued by this game I think it's really fucking cool but yeah brand new team apparently a lot of um, veteran talent in Sweden Embark Studios I don't know I don't know if it's like a games as a service thing like Destiny or if it's like an all new thing but I, I'm definitely interested in giving it a try and then lastly yeah it's been a long one guys lastly we got the Matrix uh, Unreal Engine 5 demo. So this is actually available now if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation 5 Series X, whatever. You can download it now. It is a Unreal Engine 5 demo using uh, assets from the new Matrix movie or whatever. And apparently it's like really technically impressive. I'm going to try this later today and get in and see what it's like. But they showed a little snippet of what it's supposed to look like. It's apparently like, like Uncanny Valley looking like realistic and shit. And... That's cool. A little taste of like what Unreal Engine 5 can offer. Uh, that was really cool. It was a little disappointing how they hyped it up so hard and they showed so much Keanu Reeves and shit and all, all this interview stuff and then only showed like 10 seconds of it. Uh, but I mean, it's available for you to just download and try it out yourself. So I guess why not? But that was it. Then they ended with a bunch of music and they did Game of the Year and It Takes Two One and Joseph Faro was like, ah, oh, good, good thing I'm friends with uh, Jeff Keighley because that de definitely didn't influence uh, my ability to win this award. I'm just kidding. But um, I don't know. 
whatever. The Game Awards or whatever, but I mean, we some pretty cool announcements here. We got Hellblade, we got Star Wars Eclipse, we got a Bethesda job ad, we got Wonder Woman, we got Alan Wake 2, we got Sonic Movie 2, we got Sonic um, Frontiers, we got Suicide Squad, we got Warhammer Space Marine 2, we got Crossfire X, we got Halo's TV show, and Arc Raiders. I would say those are the things that stood out to me. I was like, okay, pretty, pretty cool announcements all around. So overall, you know, it's like every year at the Game Awards. It was went on an hour way too long, at least. All these stupid performances we didn't need to see, but lots of cool announcements and news nonetheless. And uh, that was that was this year's Game Awards. Now, we'll be doing our own Xbox on Game of the Year award kind of se- session probably later this month, uh, probably around the new year uh, when the news is pretty slow. But until then, the news is not slow because now we got a bunch of other news stories. So we're going to skip a bunch of um, closing segments and just kind of focus on news before we close out today because... We're already at uh, two hours and 15 minutes in, and we've barely scratched the news. That's, that's the kind of week we're looking at here. I thought, I was like, with the Game Awards, with Halo, it'll probably be a slow news week otherwise, but nope. So this first news story is not directly Xbox-related, and I won't keep on it too long, but I just think it's so important because, one, Xbox spawned this thing happening, and two, it it is direct competition to Xbox. So... Uh, VGC reports that details have emerged on an Xbox Game Pass competitor service that is being made by PlayStation. According to documents seen by Bloomberg, again, I don't have a subscription, so we got to go from outside sources to get information on it. The new subscription service is currently being codenamed Spartacus, uh, and it will combine Sony's current PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now services into one, similar to how Xbox combined Xbox Live Gold and Game Pass all into one. Um, phasing out and branding of the latter. The service, which is expected to launch uh, on PS4 and 5, will have three payment structured uh, tiers. The first would be the existing PlayStation Plus benefits for its base tier, uh, giving you PlayStation Plus titles and free online gameplay, whatever, or the ability to play games online, rather. The second tier would offer a catalog of games similar to Game Pass, but the third tier would add the extended demos as well and game streaming for a classic library of PS1, 2, 3, and PSP games. So, I like this. This is interesting, because Sony have said time and time again, we don't think Game Pass is sustainable, we don't think it's good for the industry, and no, we're not getting involved in this. And just because Sony is playing around with this and building a service like this doesn't necessarily mean they're 100% doing it. It means they maybe just means they have a contingency plan. If, if, if Game Pass gets to a point where it cannot be ignored and the only way to stay in the market and to compete is to have an alternative solution, to have something like that. So that's all a possibility. Maybe this is just something... I, I mean, I definitely believe this is real, no, no doubt. You know, Jason Schreier, for as much as I don't like the guy... He does some fantastic reporting. He definitely exposes some of the the biggest stories in the industry, and he definitely deserves credit for that. He's a very reliable source, and he's, you know, credit where credit's due. But, so I I completely believe this is real. It's just a matter of whether or not Sony's going to move through, go through with it or not. This is a big threat, because even with Halo Infinite being out now and being a massive launch, and people love Forza, and people love Game Pass, and Xbox is kind of in the good graces of the gamers right now, I think this is the kind of thing that could really fuck with Xbox. Because the only thing that's really standing in the way, other than personal preference, which platform do you prefer, right? Which is why most of us play on Xbox mostly. The thing that really gives Xbox the upper hand is Game Pass, obviously. Cloud gaming, obviously. Playing Xbox games on PC and Xbox seamlessly, obviously. If PlayStation closes in that gap by being like, oh, well, you get all the old games because we suck at backwards compatibility. If you get you get all that shit, 
through like a free streaming or including your subscription service, or you just get a bunch of games kind of like Game Pass. Here's the thing is that could be deadly because people already still generally prefer PlayStation, even without having those upper hand advantages. But if PlayStation had those upper hand advantages and was already the more dominant and, and preferred brand for most consumers, that could be really bad for Xbox. But here's the thing that I think some people are overlooking or that this doesn't cover. Or at least it doesn't specify, so we don't know. Just because PlayStation would do a service like this, and I totally think they are at least fleshing out something like this, it doesn't include the biggest benefit to Game Pass, which isn't that cloud streaming or Game Pass, console and PC, or you know, lots and lots of games on this service. It's not just that. Those are all massive perks. But the number one benefit to Game Pass is everything that is first-party content on Xbox releases day and date into Game Pass. Halo Infinite, brand new game, $60, cost Microsoft so much, like what is it, like they estimate five or $600 million to develop that game? Guess how much money I paid for it? It was just included in my $15 a month subscription this month. I didn't pay a penny more. It was included with all the other shit. I, I paid as much to play Halo Infinite this week, the day it came out, as I paid to also try out Battlefield Hardline because it was there and I was bored and I wanted to try it. So that is the biggest selling point of Game Pass. Always will be. I cannot imagine how any other benefit you know, could be more enticing than that. But PlayStation, I don't think can afford to do this. I don't, and I don't think they would. And I think they see it as devaluing their games, which Sony's always very big on like, hey, we have a higher quality product and we're not going to devalue it by giving it out for a discount or giving it out for free or whatever. So Sony's very protective, almost like Nintendo when it, when it comes to this stuff as well. So even if they had this service, sure, you might get Battlefield Hardline on your PS Game Pass, right? Let's call it PlayStation Game Pass or Spartacus or whatever. You might get uh, a relatively new game like, oh, you, oh yeah, like you also have... Um, what is it, like Outriders and Marvel's Avengers and shit like that that's on Game Pass. Yeah, you might see stuff like that in this as well. I mean, Marvel's Avengers is already on PS now, but whatever. You get the idea. You'll have that kind of content, which is great. People will pay for that, and it's a great product. It's a great service. But when uh, Horizon Forbidden West comes out, that's that's not launching into this. you got to pay 70 bucks for that. You're not getting that included. They might throw it in like a year later when the game's a little older, but they're not putting that in day and date. You're not getting that included in your subscription. When when uh, Last of Us, whatever that fucking fraction, factions mode multiplayer thing is that they just can't seem to get out the door, whenever that comes out, it's like you're not getting that included. You know, you got to pay for that shit. So when Spider-Man 2, when Wolverine comes out, when the next Ghost of Tsushima, whatever these games are, you got to pay 70 bucks for those games. They're not just going to be included. I think that even if, so that's, that's the kind of situation Sony's in where it's like, do you launch a service like that to compete with game pass and in eat a bunch of money trying to get people to subscribe and make this a profitable model like Microsoft is doing, but Microsoft can afford to do it because they're Microsoft. Or do you, do you just stay the course and focus on releasing new titles, releasing new titles, charging full price and being like, Hey, we have a better product because it's a tricky thing. Like these subscription service models are money sinks and they're really hard to make profitable and they're really hard to get off the ground, but you can't make it a sustainable business model by going halfway. You know, you can't be like, listen, the reason why you should buy a PlayStation, not an Xbox is because we also have game pass, but you get to pay $70 for our first party content. Like, no, 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 no. Xbox is going to say, this is why you buy an Xbox is because for 300 fucking dollars, you get a series S, which is a great next gen console. So it's super affordable. And then for $15 a month, you get 
everything we ever make, period, just fucking for free the day it comes out, included in your subscription. Not free, I get it. But, you know, like, oh, okay. The, the value proposition is just stupid at that point. So I feel like it would be dangerous for Sony to try and compete on this front if they're not going to go all in. Because if they're not going to go all in, what they're going to do is they're just going to damage their brand. They're just going to damage their service. And then it's going to build the stigma of like, yeah, Sony's Game Pass kind of sucks. It doesn't come with first-party content. And then even if down the road they try to add first-party content, it's going to be like the damage is done. You already kind of fucked it up. Now people have this stigma that like Sony is stingy. Sony doesn't include nearly as much value as Xbox. Go with Xbox. Game Pass is better. So I just feel like this is a huge thing because if Sony does get into this market, that's all bets are off. This is the future of gaming going forward, period. If anything, it might even... I, I, a part of me wants to say it might force Nintendo's hand, but at the same time, I feel like Nintendo is so off doing their own thing. It's like, you know, it's like Xbox and Sony are trying to sell cars. Which car do you want? You know, do you want the fucking... Do you want the, do you want the Lexus or the Acura? You know, that's like Microsoft versus Sony when it comes to gaming. And then Nintendo's like... Oh, us? No, we're not We're not selling cars. We're selling uh, Razor scooters. Do you want a Razor scooter? And people are like, fucking, I'll, I miss Razor scooters from when I was a little kid. I'll take a Razor scooter. And then next thing you know, it's like, wow, Razor scooters are outselling uh, Acuras and Lexus because they're cheap and everyone's nostalgic for them. And that's that's Nintendo. They're not fucking selling you a car. They're selling you uh, nostalgia. So, and, and I don't mean that as a slight to Nintendo. I just mean that as... They can get away with doing things a lot differently from how Sony and Microsoft play. Whether Sony likes it or not, they are beholden to an extent to what the competition does, and their competition is Microsoft. I know Nintendo always says, we're not competing with the other game guys. And even Microsoft says these days, like, we're not competing with Sony. We're competing with Google. We're competing with Amazon. We're competing with cloud services. And they're right, they are. But, like, when it comes to, like, the the console gaming space, like it or not, Xbox and PlayStation are competing with each other. Maybe it's something that won't be the case the more we get into these services and the more these things expand and evolve, but at least for the time being, as they have been for the past 20 years, Xbox and PlayStation are two brands that are directly competing with each other, whether it's intentionally done these days or not. You just can't get away from it. So I, I think PlayStation is kind of in a rock and a hard place here where they have to they have to either go all in, which I don't know that they can afford to do that, or... Or they have to stay the course and be like, no, we're not doing a subscription service. We're doing what we're doing because Sony is a premium brand. But the thing is, I can see it going both ways where they, they stay the course and people respect that and be like, yeah, you pay more on PlayStation, but you get a more premium experience and they can kind of have their boutique kind of status quo market the way it's always been. Or they try to do what Game Pass does, but they can't compete because they don't have the capital the way Microsoft does, and it ends up eating them. And I just feel like, you know, Sony's on top right now. They've been on top for a while, and that's great for them. But they're more volatile in the long run than Microsoft is, and that's why they got to play their cards a lot more carefully. Because even though today, you know, PlayStation 4 way outsold Xbox One, uh, reports are suggesting that PS5 is currently way outselling Xbox Series consoles. That's great. But, you know, tomorrow, if, if, if fucking Satya Nadella wants to knock on Sony's door and be like, uh, hey, we're going to do we're going to Bethesda the fuck out of you. Here's 18 kajillion dollars. Uh, we own you now. Sony's going to be like, yes, daddy. So that's uh, that's the thing is like as long as Satya Nadella is willing to green light whatever the fuck Phil Spencer and his friends have cooking up in their heads, Microsoft can always compete because they have money. Sony's got to play a little more of a scrappy, witty game because they, I mean, they're obviously a very profitable, very successful company, but 
in comparison to Microsoft, no. <laughs> they don't stand a chance. I don't know. I just think that's so interesting because this is this is coming to a head here. Where And, and the other thing that goes with it, and I'll try to cut it short, but like whatever these companies decide to do, Sony and Microsoft, with their subscription services is going to have lasting effects to every other player in the field. Because let's say Sony does try to compete with Microsoft. And they're like, no, our first-party content is going to be in our version of Game Pass, our Spartacus service, day one. You know, Last of Us Part 3, the day it comes out for $70, it's also in Spartacus. So subscribe or buy the game, your choice, just like Game Pass. Let's say they, they can do that, and they do that, and it works out, right? Eventually, this is going to start forcing the hand of players like, think of Ubisoft, think of Activision. These publishers, they're like, whoa, we don't get in bed with these services. Activision is like, no, 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 no. See, what we're going to do is we're going to make Call of Duty this free-to-play battle royale game. It's going to make a bajillion dollars. We're never going to put any of the Call of Duties, I don't give a shit, they're 55 years old. We're never going to put them in Game Pass because we're still going to try to sell, sell you Black Ops 2 for $50, $60 in the year 2021 because we're fucking greedy assholes and we can't stop touching our women and threatening to kill them. And then we'll be like, Okay, but at some point, if Sony's on board with this and Microsoft's on board with this and it's years later and the market's been trained like this is how you consume games, it's going to get pretty niche for a company like Activision to be like, yeah, so it's uh, it's been 10 months. Uh, how about you open up your wallet and give us another $70 for Call of Duty 27 Modern Warfare 3 colon Modern Warfare Remaster colon uh, Modern Warfare. And people are going to be like... I don't know, man. I'll just go play literally any other first-party game that's free or included in my subscription I'm already paying. And that's, that's what I'm saying. This stuff matters so much. So it doesn't matter, you know, Xbox. This, we're talking about Sony. This matters to Xbox because it matters directly to Xbox in terms of competition, but it also matters in terms of how these, these kinds of services are eventually going to force the hand or change the game or affect these third-party companies that work with both. Because Activision isn't a Sony company, it's not a Microsoft company, but they make games that equally end up on both platforms, so it what what happens on one affects the other, and that's why we had to talk about this stuff, so, I don't know, really interesting shit here, um, I'm so curious to see what Sony does with that, I, I honestly, I think that's one of the most, it's one of the most interesting stories we have to watch in the coming year, year or two is what PlayStation decides, because if PlayStation is going to do this, make no mistake, I think this service will be out in the next, like, I don't know, like ha between half a year and in a year and a half. So either between summer of 2022 and summer of 2023, I think it's probably when we would get a definitive answer on whether or not this is happening. If it's not happening, we'll never hear anything. And if it is happening, we'll hear between, you know, between that one year time span, the six to 12 months. I, that's, that's my random arbitrary fa uh, unfounded guess. All right, let's move on. Cause we still have 75 more stories to get through. So you'll be, you know, halo, Halo Infinite's DLC will already be out by the time this podcast is done. All right, GameSpot, and usually we don't use GameSpot, but they're they're kind of on the ball this week. So GameSpot uh, 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 has a good article here about the future of Battlefield. So Electronic Arts is making major changes to its development structures, focusing on growing and expanding Battlefield series following uh, what has been a challenging launch for Battlefield 2042. The future set military shooter launched in November with and with Swifty swiftly criticized for lack of online features found in previous games for its many, many bugs, some of which including the infamous unable to load persistent data bug friend users from being uh, playing the game entirely, blah, blah, blah. But this week, EA formally announced the creation of a Battlefield universe that will seemingly span multiple games and offerings, which will be developed by different studios across North America and Europe. Additionally, DICE GM 
Oscar uh, Gabrielson, is leaving the company to pursue new endeavors outside of EA. The shakeup includes Respawn's Vince Zampella, the guy behind Modern Warfare and Titanfall and Apex Legends, taking on a bigger role as the new overall boss of the Battlefield franchise, while Halo designer Marcus Leto is building a new development team in Seattle focused on injecting more storytelling into the Battlefield universe. More storytelling into the Battlefield universe. Hell yeah. Ripple Effect, the development team uh, behind Battlefield 2042's Portal Mode, is developing a new Battlefield experience in the Battlefield 2042 universe. In the immediate future, EA told GameSpot that DICE, Ripple Effect, and Leto's new studio in Seattle will work together to expand upon and improve Battlefield 2042. The other Battlefield games and experience... That's really interesting, actually. A brand new studio is going to start working on this game that just came out to improve it. Anyway, the other Battlefield games and experiences that in the works are meant to serve as extensions to a degree of the new Battlefield universe that EA is trying to create. There are no specific available, no specifics available with the new games and experiences or when they will release as of now. As for Leto, who designed Master Chief in the creation of Halo and helped make it what it is today, he's heading up a new unnamed studio in the Seattle area. It will collaborate with DICE and Ripple Effect at the aim of expanding the narrative storytelling, the character development opportunities in the Battlefield series. There's no word on what this means in terms of specific products and strategies. However, in a big shift, Battlefield 2042 did not have a single player mode at all. Instead, opting to focus on three online, three main multiplayer pillars, All Out Warfare, Portal, and Hazard Zone. Leto previously started an independent studio called V1 Interactive that made the sci-fi shooter that came out last summer called Disintegration that I played and almost no one else played, and then they immediately shut down. It was a really small team of about 30 people and everyone lost their job. It's really sad. But he was hired by EA earlier this year, and now we know what he's working on. Byron Bede, the longtime Call of Duty veteran who was hired by EA earlier in the year uh, to grow the Battlefield uh, series, um, was hired as the shepherd of the long-term strategy uh, and business decisions. And he said that Leto and his team in Seattle are expanding Battlefield 24's narrative across a variety of experiences, blah, blah, blah. Zampella's new position is on top of the existing managerial responsibilities at Respawn, which includes overseeing and ongoing efforts of Apex Legends and the studio's other unannounced projects, and it's a rumored sequel uh, Jedi Fall to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. EA Chief Operations Officer Lauren Miel sung Zampella's praises, saying that he is the right person to lead Battlefield into the future, building the past successes of Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, and Apex Legends. Zampella said he plans to grow significantly in terms of the number of developers working on Battlefield franchise across all the company, and he called on developers who have been uh, who have a look at EA's open positions to consider putting in applications. So he's calling on people from within EA to consider applying. So let, and let me wrap up the article with this. EA CEO Andrew Wilson said the company may eventually develop a free-to-play Battlefield game with Z- while Zimpella uh, step stopped short of confirming this. He said that the company is exploring every possibility as it looks to grow Battlefield to help reach its full potential. Not everyone is saying on the transition. However, as Gabrielson, DICE's current GM, is leaving the company at the end of the year in a statement, he said that he's leaving DICE and EA entirely and was among the most difficult decisions he's ever had to make. Blah, blah, blah. We'll skip all that. So here's the main point. That was, a, that was a lot, and I skipped a lot of it because it's just a super long article that kind of restates itself over and over again. But this is the big news here, is EA is trying to establish, and it's clear what they're doing. They're trying to establish Battlefield the way Activision is trying to establish Call of Duty, but it's really weird because two things are happening right now in a time where they're announcing this that kind of work against this. One, you got Battlefield 2042, which just launched in kind of a, and I'm a little confused on this because I played like seven hours of Battlefield 2042, 
and I just haven't. I've run into some graphical glitches, but I really haven't seen these game break game breaking bugs that everyone's reporting on. So I must be missing something. But a lot of people are saying Battlefield 2042 is completely fucked, completely broken, missing tons of shit. And maybe it's because I'm a Battlefield layman that I just miss it, I guess. I don't know. But to me, it, it, it seems fine. But anyway, that's not the point. Regardless of what I think of it, the perception is that Battlefield 2042 is kind of fucked right now. And people are unhappy. So even if you have big news like this to share, you shouldn't share it until you have at least publicly per to perceived to have fixed the problem. So... This is, this is not the time where you're like, hey, here's what our plan is next for Battlefield going into the future. This is the time where you put your heads down, do whatever you need to do with Battlefield 2042 to make the fanboys shut up and, and be happy, and then when everyone's pleased and satisfied with the game, that's when you talk about what's next. So that's the first thing is, right now they're talking about all the big, massive plans they have. Oh, we got all these studios working on Battlefield, making all these new experiences, all new games, all this big talent working on it. You guys like Halo? You guys like Modern Warfare? All the guys that did the Halo Warfare, they're, they're doing all the Battlefield game now. It's like, okay, but, like, fix the one you just put out. Don't, like, just abandon it. And they are clarifying that a lot of these guys right now, for the time being, are working on making Battlefield 2042 better. So they're aware of the way this messaging comes across, and they're trying to address it and get in, uh, ahead of the bullet. But, again, it's like, still, you should just work on fixing this first before you move forward and do anything. Because it's not like anything they're announcing right now is going to make, you know, result in substantial change anytime in the next few months anyway. So... I don't see what they stand to benefit from do, from announcing this now versus in like five or six months anyway, but that's that's the first thing. The second thing I don't get here is that look over at Activision right now. No, not the part where their CEO is threatening to murder people and everyone's getting harassed and shit, but look at what's going on with Call of Duty. They are folding every fucking piece of talent that's ever come in the door at Activision right now and being like, hey, who are you? Uh, my name's John. It's like, okay, John, what do you do? Well, I'm really good at making, like, strategy role-playing games. Great, you're on Call of Duty. Okay, next, who's this? Uh, oh, hey, my name's Lisa. Uh, glad to be here. Hey, Lisa, what do you do? Well, my dream is to make a character platform uh, game. I know you guys own the Spire on the Crash series. Uh, I really love these kinds of franchises and want to bring uh, next-gen new life into these franchises. Great, you're hired, you're on Call of Duty. So on and so forth. And just anyone who's ever even looked at an Activision logo. It was like, oh, you're on Call of Duty Duty. That sounds funny. But anyway, that's kind of the problem at Activision. And what they're running into right now with, with Vanguard, and again, this is mostly public perception that is anything, but Vanguard's selling worse than any Call of Duty sold since 2007 when the original Modern Warfare came out. And that, and that game sold great for the time, but it's just that that was the game that started Call of Duty the way we know it today. And so it only built up more and more and more since then with like Modern Warfare 2019 and Black Ops 2 and Black Ops 1 and, and, and games like this being some of the series' highlights in terms of sales. But Vanguard has dipped basically to the lowest the series has sold since the series started getting popular, which is, which basically means Call of Duty Vanguard is selling incredibly well. It's probably the best-selling game of the year. It's doing really, really great. But by Call of Duty standards, it's dipping quite a bit. They've got everyone at Activision working on Call of Duty and basically nothing else at a time where their thing is dipping. And the most successful aspect of Call of Duty is this free-to-play Battle Royale thing that they also have everyone working on. So it's like... You've got all your teams on all your eggs in one basket, all your teams on one project. Everyone's stretched super thin, and you're so focused on one thing. If Call of Duty fails, if Call of Duty blows up, which, I mean, it's been like 100 years and Call of Duty just won't go the fuck away, I think it's safe to say it's it's in, in a good spot. But if something were to happen and Call of Duty actually started waning and people stopped caring about it, Activision would be fucked. They'd have to pivot so hard and so fast and be like, okay, uh, fuck, what do people want? Do I, what, Legacy of Kane? You guys like that shit? Okay, we're, we're coming back. It's it's one of these things where it's like actually I think that was IDOS I don't remember who cares who cares it's one of those things where it's like 
why why would you do that to yourself? Why would you make yourself that vulnerable? And with Activision, maybe you can justify it because Call of Duty has been on top for so fucking long that maybe they maybe the, the people there, the executives, the shareholders feel confident that this is a move that is financially viable going forward into the future. Right now, it looks like it's maybe starting to bite them in the ass just a little bit, even though you know it had to continue this trend for a while before it became a real problem. But it, the point I'm trying to make is this is what you see starting to happen over Activision. And at that same time, EA's response is, yeah, let's do what they're doing. Let's do that. Let's stop making other games. Let's make all of our studios work on Battlefield. And we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a free-to-play game, Andrew Wilson says. Like, Why? So you can compete with Warzone, a free-to-play Battle Royale for Battlefield? Uh, we'll do one that's like, this team will work on story stuff. This team will work on like user-created content. This team will work on like traditional Battlefield multiplayer. That, that's what it sounds like they're doing. It's like uh, Ripple Effect is going to continue to work on user-created content with Portal and shit. DICE is going to continue to do the traditional Battlefield multiplayer. This new team Marcus Leto's headed up in Seattle is going to work on like story content. And then Vince Sampel is going to kind of oversee the whole thing and be like, I'm, you know, the godfather of Battlefield. Be like, listen, I made Modern Warfare what it is today, you know, back in 07 and 09. I made, I, I made... Titanfall and Apex Legends and kind of put EA back on the map when it came to first-person shooters again, you know, in, in 2014, 2016, and 20, uh, when was Apex Legends? 2019. And, and so they're like, why would you not take the guy who's responsible for, like, all the big shooters and put him in charge of Battlefield? Because even though, you know, Battlefield's really successful, but it's nowhere close to Call of Duty level of players and copies sold, the thing is, EA has always wanted Battlefield to be Call of Duty, and we see it so badly. They, 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 when they got, when they got respawn, when they got Vince Sampella, they're like, "Fuck yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do Titanfall, and it's gonna beat Call of Duty." It didn't, and then they're like, "Okay, well, this guy's great anyway, so we'll keep him, we'll promote him, and now let's put him on Battlefield because Battlefield is gonna beat Call of Duty. It never has, probably never will, but okay. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. This could work out. Uh, I could see a future in which, like, okay, you got so many people work on Battlefield, you're getting higher quality content, you're getting varied content, so maybe Marcus Leto can make a Battlefield game that's kind of like Bad Company, where it's like, hey, I actually care about these characters, I'm actually invested in this story, it's actually not just more generic military shooter, maybe, I mean, hey, he had a huge role in Halo, and we just got through an hour of me talking about how Halo means the world to me outside of Sonic the Hedgehog, whatever, but... I just don't, I, I, this timing is what gets me. It's like so bad. You're like, hey, our competitor is kind of starting to feel the burn after doing this one thing for so long. Let's do that. And they're like, oh, hey, our, our players are mad at us because we just put out a game that has all these perceived issues. Instead of just focusing on fixing that, let's let's talk about what's next. It's like, is this really the time to be doing this, to be having this conversation and to be going this down this road? I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. Between Marcus Leto and Van Sampella and all the teams they have, Ripple Effect did amazing work on, on Battlefield Portal. They have a lot of great talent, and I, th I think Battlefield's a great franchise. I like Battlefield. Sometimes I like it more than others, but it, it's a great franchise with a lot of potential, but... It just seems like they're going about it all the wrong way. And then the third thing I want to bring up, the last thing I want to bring up here, is that part of what makes Battlefield so special, I, I personally think, as, as someone who prefers Call of Duty, I, I want to prefer Battlefield, but I prefer Call of Duty. Part of what makes Battlefield so special is that you don't get it every fucking day of the week. It's like Battlefield's like, okay, here's a Battlefield game. Maybe you'll get another one in two years, and then maybe after that you'll get another one in four years, and then maybe after that it'll be three years. It's always just like you don't know when you're going to get your next Battlefield game, but what you do know is it's not going to be next year. And it's nice because it makes it an event. It means every time there's a new Battlefield, it's like, hey, hey guys, Battlefield's coming back. Oh, cool, I could go for a new Battlefield game. Call of Duty's problem is it's like, I think its gameplay formula is more addictive 
it kind of it kind of messes with the dopamine in your head a little more and makes you like, ooh, I need more of that. And that's why it kind of justifies itself. But Call of Duty kind of fucking sucks because it's always like, here's a new Call of Duty game. You're like, hey, this game's pretty good. I, c- I could see myself playing this game for more than five minutes. And they're like, well, too bad because the next one's out. $70, please. You're like, fuck. Like, I-, I just got through talking on the podcast about how my issue with Call of Duty is like, I'm kind of just now getting back into the series after a lot of years of just not really giving a shit. And my problem is that I think Black Ops Cold War is by far the best Call of Duty game in terms of its complete package, multiplayer, zombies, and campaign. By far the best Call of Duty we've had since 2012 with Black Ops 2. I would be so happy if if Activision could just be like, man, our thing is like, we're just going to focus on Black Ops Cold War. Over the next two or three years, we're just going to add a bunch of content, polish the fuck out of the game, balance the fuck out of the game, have a lot of events, a lot of battle passes, a lot of cool shit, so that people who like this game and bought this game can just enjoy the fuck out of this great game we've put out. I would love that. But instead, they're like, okay, 75 minutes of, of, of Black Ops Cold War, fuck you, you're gone. Uh, Vanguard, it's your turn. And, and the thing is, I expected to hate Vanguard. I actually like Vanguard. I think the campaign's kind of weak, but the multiplayer is very, very good. The multiplayer in, in, in um, Vanguard is surprisingly good. And the zombies, I, I don't love it, but I don't hate it nearly as much as other people do. But, but here's the thing is, it's like, why? It's because now I'm left being like, Vanguard's really good, but also I really want to uh, play Black Ops Cold War still. I'm kind of torn between this. It's just like you're cannibalizing your franchise. So I don't think Battlefield can get away with that. I think if we had Battlefield 2042 right now, we're like, oh, it's okay. They need to fix this game. And then next year, they're just like, ah, fuck 42. Now we got Battlefield 63. And it's like, guys, you got to just buckle down and work on this project. Like, you can't just keep doing this. And I, I don't, I think... You can make some great content by taking this approach, but I think it's bad timing, and I think you can ultimately do a lot more damage than good if, if, if this isn't taken with the absolute most care. And I don't know. EA, you could do better by di- being the opposite of Activision. Diversify your portfolio. You have great talent with Marcus Leto and Vince Zampella. Let them do something other than Battlefield. I think this is a mistake in the long run, but we'll just have to take, you know, see how it goes, I guess. All right, we got six more stories to get through. So I think all the bulky stuff is out of the way. Halo, that Battlefield story, um, Game Awards. But we'll kind of run through these next six a little quicker. But man, oh man, I told you. It's a big old news week, boys and, boys and girls. And and uh, oh, let's be honest. This, I see the demographics. The show is mostly just man-childs. Uh, anyway, VGC has our next story here reporting. This one's... Fuck you, fuck you Ubisoft. Ubisoft have announced plans to add non-fungi- <laughs> non-fungible tokens or NFTs to its games, starting with Ghost Recon Breakpoint. You know that game everyone hated. Uh, NFTs are a unique non-interchangeable... Actually, it's probably intentional. NFTs are a non-interchangeable units of data stored in digital ledgers, which can be used to buy and sell. Ubisoft introduced NFTs to its games called uh, via Ubisoft Quartz, which is... It builds as the first platform for playable and energy-efficient NFTs in AAA games. Launching this week for PC version of Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, it will enable players to acquire digits which are collectibles in games via weapons, pieces of equipment, etc. These digits will be released as part of limited editions, each made up of a fixed number of cosmetic items. Uh, and Ubisoft said that, sorry, each digit has its own Serial number, which can be viewed by players in-game and comes with a certificate of ownership. Players will be able to sell digital digits on third-party platforms outside Ubisoft's ecosystem. So Ubisoft won't let you sell them, but they'll let you buy them. Uh, their quote says, Our long-term efforts have led us to understand that the blockchain's decentralized approach could genuinely make players uh, stakeholders of our games in a way that is also sustainable for our industry, playing, placing back into their own hands the value of the generate 
through time that they spend in it, the items to buy content they create online, said Nicholas Poard, VP of Ubisoft's Strategic Innovation Lab. Whatever, we'll just stop. I don't have to be the first one to say it. Obviously, this received massive backlash. Everyone's pissed. I, I will say it like this. Even more so, earlier we talked about like the, uh, the, the new Qualcomm chip and all that stuff. Even more so than techie shit, this is stuff I definitely am not qualified to speak on. I have tried so hard to understand quick cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all this shit, uh, NFTs. I've, I've tried. I've tried. I've watched videos. I've listened to podcasts. I've tried to understand this shit. Some of these things I understand more than others. Um, but when it comes to NFTs, I am firmly in the camp. And I don't care how ignorant this makes me sound. I don't care if in five, ten years you can look back on this podcast and be like, wow, this guy's a fucking idiot who just didn't get it. That's fine. I'm willing to take that risk because right now today, I am so confident that NFTs are actually a fucking scam and a waste of time and a waste of money. This is one of those like rich people have an opportunity to get a little dunk on working class and poor people. And I don't mean to get political about this, but I, I think NFTs are objectively a scam. And although I don't generally go for like, I, I don't know, our government's kind of fucking useless and they're full of corruption, but this is kind of an instance of where they maybe need to just step in and be like, no. No, you, you literally can't do this. This is illegal because this is just trying. I, I love this. It speaks to like the, and I'm so sorry. There's someone out there I'm, I'm offending right now because I know there's someone listening who's probably like, hey, crypto's legit or NFTs are legit. I'm not even so much attacking crypto. I'm specifically at attacking NFTs. But this kind of shit, it just appeals to that part of people's brains that's like, hey, I'm a working class, you know, at least in the context of America. I'm a working class American. I don't really see myself getting out of this like, cycle of just like, you know, I work a day job, I make a, a living, but you know, I'm not necessarily on top of the world or anything. I, I sure wish I could get rich. I feel like the lottery preys on people in this way and stock market preys on people in this way. But with those things, there actually is, you know, even though it's highly unlikely, there is the possibility that you could make a buck or two or, or maybe even hit it big. Maybe. With this, it's like, this is literally just a scam. I don't give a shit what anyone says. It's like, you own this specific uh, asset picture or copy or whatever of this gun asset. And uh, here's a unique blockchain code or whatever that, 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 that verifies that you are the owner of it. Thanks for buying it. Maybe someone will see value in this stupid fucking art asset in the video game. And if you want, you can't sell it through us because we don't want to get involved in that. But you can you can take it online into another ecosystem and try to sell this shit and make a profit and get rich and be awesome because, you know, you're not just a regular guy. You're not just a guy who works an office job and and uh, and just accepts middle class American life. No, no, no. You you're you're an entrepreneur. You're an investor. You're a fucking visionary. You're you're above the norm. It's like you're going to go make a profit because you're kind of smart. You're a savvy guy. Let's be honest. You got a lot of street smarts. You know, you don't play games and think, man, I just want to relax after a long day of work and enjoy some uh, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. I, I, it's not enough for me. I, what I think, because, you know, I'm such a fucking entrepreneur is, I, man, how can I make money? How can I make my video games work for me? How can I make money playing the games I like to enjoy? Because I don't know. I'm just a fucking entrepreneur. I listen to a lot of really smart people. I don't know. I, this, is, this is what I've been told. This is what I, I know because I think about this shit and I know the market is due for an adjustment because I'm just a fucking visionary. I'm just a, a goddamn genius. I'm not regurgitating shit people say in, on, on YouTube. I'm just, these are just my original thoughts and I get it. But this shit is predatory. It's like, you're not getting shit. I will tell you right now, this is how the stock market works. If you own 100 shares of Microsoft stock, which is like, I don't know, fucking, what, what is it, like $80, $90, maybe, probably more, 
150 some no not 150 like i don't know let's say microsoft shares like 90 dollars. i could be way off base right now i don't know if you own 100 shares of microsoft stock that shit's valuable because at one point microsoft was worth nothing because no one knew what the fuck it was it was a company it was a startup no one believed in it and then it became like the most important company in the world you ever heard of like computers thanks microsoft you know computers run off like windows you ever heard of like working in Microsoft Office, it's like a thing. Microsoft is a very valuable company. And so the value of that stock, your ownership in that company has gone up and you can sell that and make money because people are like, hey, I would like to own a portion of that company that is very important because they make a lot of money and they have a large influence on the world. It's like, okay, I get that. That is something worth spending your money and investing on. You bought Microsoft when it was young and cheap and good for you. You played the game and you won. This is stupid. No one sees fucking value. I understand it's supposed to be like small scale concepts. Like you're not going to get rich off this one asset, but no one is going to be like, oh, you own that uh, M16 variant uh, art asset from Ubisoft's uh, Tom Clancy's The Division, The Ghost Recon, The Outer Worlds, The Wildlands, Division X. Oh my God, man. I've always, I just, I just find so much personal value in that art asset for that, um, for that, the, the, that cosmetic gun that has the anime titty uh, skin on it, like in Call of Duty. Uh, I, 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 w- I would like to pay you $4,000 for that skin, please. But let's not sell it and trade it through Ubisoft, who sold it to me in the first place. Let's do it on third-party system because Ubisoft doesn't want to be responsible or liable for this bullshit because this is a completely legitimate transaction. Let's do this. It's like, fuck you, Ubisoft. You stupid pieces of shit. I'm like, like, I don't, I don't, if I, I, mm, this makes me, this makes me like actually irate. I hope, (laughs) I hope you can like feel my blood boiling. This shit makes me so mad because this is taking advantage of your, you you guys want to get pissed off about like microtransactions or like hunting for whales with microtransactions in games or like battle passes or season passes that shit is little league compared to this that stuff is so pedestrian compared to this because you were literally giving your users nothing you were just saying hey we're ubisoft we have a brand that's been built up over so many years because players love our games and love the love the worlds we've created and therefore we have a massive pool of players we have a massive audience that we can prey on and take advantage of and sell them bullshit and make a profit off of that's fucked. That's completely fucked. This is, honest to God, in my opinion, one of the scammiest, creepiest, most disgusting and gross, slimy practices happening right now in the games industry. And it's all thanks to you, Ubisoft. You fucking suck. You are literally the worst. Literally, go fuck yourself, Ubisoft. I I have nothing good to say in any way, shape, or form. And I think, you know, I could see this if there was, like, some shitty, like, indie dev trying to take advantage of the system and and make a quick buck. Like you are Ubisoft. You have so much influence. You employ so many people. You have so many gamers eating out of the palm of your hands because they like fucking Assassin's Creed for some reason. And you're willing to take advantage of them in this way. This is beyond unacceptable. Like this is, this is like someone needs to step in, put their foot down and be like, Ubisoft, fuck you. You can't do this. I don't, I don't care if it sounds totalitarian or like government overreach. I don't care if this sounds like let the players make their own mistakes. No, this is completely fucked. This is completely unacceptable. I, I actually don't even give a shit if anyone's offended by that. Like if you're like, oh, no, 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 you just don't get NFTs. No, no, no. listen, man, you, I'm sorry. You're being scammed. NFTs are the Scientology of, of the fucking crypto world. Like I'm telling you right now, if you're invested in, in NFTs, if this is something you're taking seriously. If you're thinking about buying fucking art assets for anime skin, titty guns in Call of Duty's The Ghost Recon Wildland Project X, you're wasting your money, you're getting scammed, and Ubisoft fucking knows it. So this is disgusting. There. I'm off my high horse. 
find out next month, like, someone who listens to the show is like, fuck you, man, I just made it rich because I bought <laughs> gun skins from Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, the Cross-X Wildlands, and I'll be like, fuck me, I was wrong. <laughs> anyway, next up, this is, this is, in, in another week where there wasn't 100 stories going on, this is kind of a big story, but I, I don't have much to say because goddamn. Uh, VGC relays that Rockstar will release new Grand Theft Auto Online story DLC called The Contract uh, on December 15th, so in a few days here. Remember this uh, story DLC we were waiting for on Grand Theft Auto, like back in 2013? <laughs> here it is. It's coming to GTA Online. <laughs> it features the return of Grand Theft Auto V's protagonist, Franklin Clinton, and also stars, stars Dr. Dre, who has produced new music for the update. Remember, this was like a rumored thing a few weeks ago. The contract sees Franklin running a celebrity solutions agency, catering to Vinewood elites and searching for major clients to take business to the next level. He will also be selling NFT. No, that's a joke. <laughs> An opportunity arises when Dr. Dre's phone, which houses a new unreleased music from the artist, falls into the wrong hands of Clinton, sets out on a mission to retrieve it. Rockstar says, get ready for a wild and hilarious ride through Los Santos, blah, 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 blah. Franklin's old neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. Debaucherous mansions and the offices of the FBI everywhere in between you and Franklin enjoying and chop the dog, something secure, whatever, who gives a shit. Rockstar press release. This sounds like a really cool uh, uh, scenario, like a really cool synopsis to a game, and I would love to play this. And I will say, as someone who has very minimal experience with GTA Online, I don't understand how story content in GTA Online works at all. Because don't you play as your created character? So how are you playing as Frank? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, but I might have to return to GTA Five for this because this sounds fun this sounds funny this sounds interesting i've been wanting this dlc for grand theft auto 5 for like seven years why why <laughs> um so that's the first thing is like i guess better late than never but also like why are we working on story content for gta online when like we're supposed to be waiting for gta 6 you've waited way too long for story content just move on to gta 6 so what does that mean for the future of uh, of gta titles i understand this game won't stop making money so it makes sense why you haven't made the next one yet but uh man that's crazy but no, th th like this sounds this sounds cool it sounds funny it sounds ridiculous and i'm for it like I, I i want to try this out i just don't understand why it took seven eight eight years oh my god this game's eight years old <laughs> and um yeah man i don't i don't know I, I assume it's not super big story content. Like, this isn't going to be, like, 20 hours of gameplay or anything. But, and, and again, this isn't probably the core team who made this. But, man, like, we're, we're waiting on GTA 6. What is happening? Why are we getting, a, like, story content eight years later on this game that we just keep re-releasing? It's, uh, I, I still believe GTA 6 is in development. But, like, this is just kind of fucking crazy at this point. It's This is the game that just keeps on going. Uh, next up, The Verge. We never really cite them, but this this week we are. The Verge uh, reports, and this is I probably shouldn't put it in the news. It's not important enough to mention, but whatever. Microsoft quietly told Apple apparently that it was willing to bring big Xbox exclusives to iPhone into regular apps. So remember when Apple pretended that it wouldn't let cloud gaming services like Xbox or it would let like XCloud and stuff onto the App Store, and then effectively went back on that. And Microsoft was like, we would never you know, put hundreds of apps on, on the app store. We had to put xCloud on so you can access the catalog. Well, apparently Microsoft was actually willing to um, give in to Apple's demand and bring like AAA games to iPhone by making them like individual apps you have to download to access xCloud because they wouldn't let xCloud be its own app. So according to a set of emails, private emails that The Verge unearthed after the aftermath of the epic, aftermath of the Epic versus Apple trial, of course, 
so games would have had to run on Microsoft's xCloud gaming platform, streaming remote server farms filled with Xbox Ones and Series Xs instead of relaying on local processing power for your phone. If the deal had been made, you could have theoretically bought a copy of a game like Halo Infinite on the Apple App Store and launched in, in any other app instead of having to pay 15 bucks a month for Game Pass. Okay, so this is completely different. So obviously this didn't happen. Netflix, uh, they, they weren't able to bring their uh, Netflix-like catalog in the xCloud app to Apple. They ended up having to work around. We know how they ended up doing it. Now, if you want to do xCloud on an iPhone or an iOS device, you go to the website and you do it from the web app rather than the App Store app. So we, we know how it went. But this is kind of crazy that, uh, hypothetically, you would have been able to be like, okay, so I can't access... Game Pass from my phone because Apple are shitty and they don't want competition, so they're they're not going to let it happen. But what I can do is I can go on the App Store and download Forza Horizon 5 or Halo Infinite for $60 as an individual app. But when you launch the app, you're not playing the app running natively on your phone like we were talking about earlier with the uh, NVIDIA thing, or not NVIDIA, NVIDIA, but the Qualcomm thing. But rather what you'd be doing is you'd basically just be streaming the game from xCloud servers, but in an individual app that just pretends like you downloaded the game. I hate this. I'm so glad this didn't happen, and I'm kind of upset that Microsoft were even entertaining the idea. I wish that they had just been like, no, put your foot down, fuck you, Apple. I get it. It's a lot of customers, a lot of money on the table by just being like, oh, yeah, whatever, but this is shitty. Don't don't promote bad practices by giving into Apple's whim. Like, come on. I, I hate this. <laughs> I hate everything about this. I'm so glad it didn't happen, but it does upset me that this was ever even entertained at any point in time. Next up, next up, Bungie. Bungie was acquired by Microsoft, of course, in 2000. It had the first mega hit release, Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, but VGC has reported, as relayed by Axios, that several years later, Bungie was allowed, you know, obviously we knew this, Bungie was allowed to split from Microsoft once again, became a privately held independent company, uh, while Microsoft retained ownership of the Halo IP. But in this article with Axios, um, as relayed by VGC, Spencer, Phil Spencer was interviewed and conceded that he understands why the development why the developer left Microsoft. And he was quoted saying, at the time they had big ambitions. They had sold their business for like a certain amount of money. They saw what Halo had turned into. And it's like, okay, Microsoft benefited from that deal more than Bungie did from the success of Halo. There's no other story that can be written there. But Phil Spencer continues referencing Bungie's next big hit, uh, the sci-fi shooter Destiny saying, if you're saying like, hey, I think I've got another one of those big titles in me. I want to really take another chance. I can understand the allure of doing that as an independent company. When asked if he thought that the split from Microsoft was inevitable or if the tech giant could have held on to them, he said, could we do it today? I think we could. And I, this is one of those, like, I like Phil Spencer. I like the candor because I think a lot of Xbox fans lament this loss, the split of Bungie and um, of Microsoft. I mean, of, of course, personally, you know, as someone who just doesn't want Monopoly and, and, and wants people to be able to f be free and do their shit. I'm glad that Bungie is independent, especially independent from <clears throat> Activision, and that they're able to just make their games self-sustain and do their thing. But I really think, yeah, this is a this is a um, Don Matrix, Steve Ballmer, Microsoft era of like corporate button up. We don't understand the gamer or the game companies or the developers that well. And had this decision been made during the era of Phil Spencer leading charge at Xbox, I, I agree. I think this could have gone very differently. I think it was very much like, a, like a, we want you here to make Halo, you're contractually obligated, and Microsoft had a very like tight grip on, on Bungie, and were kind of like, they were kind of like overlords with them. And I, it, it, it seems like, had Microsoft just been like more laissez-faire, kind of like how they are now, and just been like, hey Bungie, 
you guys just do your own thing. If you're done with Halo, that's fine. You know, reach the deal where they're like, listen, you guys don't want to do Halo anymore. That's a very valuable IP to, to us. We will hold on to it and we'll figure out something to do with it. But you're also a very valuable and talented developer. We don't want to lose you. I think if Microsoft had just let the let, let go of the reins, let Bungie just go off and do whatever they wanted to do next and been like, we're holding on to Halo. We're going to have, we're going to start up 343 and have these guys work on Halo going forward. But you guys are free to just like, You've proven yourself. You made Halos 1, 2, and 3, and ODST, and Reach, and you made tons and tons of money, and you did a great job, and you've proven yourself. We believe in you enough to go off and try a new thing and to try and make another successful thing. We can have another company, and this is so stupid in hindsight, we can have another company do Halo, 343 Studio Industries, and let them kind of keep that ship going, this thing that people fucking love, Halo, and you guys go off and make another thing that grows up to be huge, like Halo, and then we'll have two big franchises that just make tons and tons and tons of money, um, both spawned by you, Bungie. I think that would have been, of course, in hindsight, the way smarter thing to do, but instead they let Bungie go, and I think Bungie was ready to get away from Microsoft. I think they were tired of Microsoft. Microsoft was a little too corporate, a little too overreach for them. It sucks, because I really do think Phil Spencer would have had the foresight to do just that. And Phil Spencer's gone on records many, many times saying how much he really loves Destiny. I think there's a part of Phil Spencer that really laments the fact that Destiny is not an Xbox exclusive, that Bungie is not an Xbox-owned studio anymore. And now I think it's too little, too late. They have a lot of investment money from even bad actors like Tencent now, and or, or maybe they, they got NetEase money. And they have a lot of investment money from outside. Destiny is a self-sustaining thing. At this point, if you're if you're Bungie, you have no reason to to want to go back to someone like Microsoft or Activision. There's no reason to not be independent because they have free reign and they have the funding to do kind of what they want to do. So from Bungie's perspective, the ship is sailed. There's no way they could ever go back to Microsoft, I don't think. But I think from Microsoft's perspective, there is still a um, there is still a uh, what could have been. I think I, I think Xbox never got over the breakup the way Bungie did. It really did work out in Bungie's favor, in my opinion. So yeah, I appreciate that candor. I think that's really really but that's gonna do it for all our big news stories of the week you guys remember we got, we're not quite done we gotta jump into the important enough news stories these are stories important enough to warrant these are stories important enough to make the podcast but not important enough to warrant their own discussion so we got a couple quick ones this this part we won't be on for much longer bioshocks four setting and time period have reportedly been leaked now this is from my boy colin moriarty on the sacred symbols podcast he revealed this stuff, but this is as relayed by VGC. So the setting for the next Bioshock game has reportedly been revealed. Details on the in-development fourth Bioshock game were shared by journalist Colin Moriarty during a Sacred Symbols, Symbols podcast on Friday, which says that, according to Colin Moriarty, uh, the Bioshock 4 will take place in the 1960s in a fictional NRD Antarctic City. Uh, this matches what VGC has been told by their own sources about the game. Uh, narratively, the game will be tied to the previous Bioshock games, the journalist claimed, and the developer Cloud Chamber is targeting a 2022 release. I doubt that makes I bet that slips. Colin was quoted saying, It takes place in the 1960s Antarctic City called Borealis. Borealis. The game is codenamed Parkside, and I've been told that the development team has incredible latitude to get this right. That seems and sounds right to me internally that the game is very secret and apparently totally locked up. Apparently, the inclination there is that the is that they understand full well that this is a game that will be compared to previous Bioshock games created by Ken Levine, and in that way, Take Two, the publisher, uh, is also publishing Levine's next game. So, even though there's a lot of previous Bioshock talent on this game working at Cloud Chamber, we don't have Ken Levine working on it. So. That is a pretty cool one. Now, there was a rumor that we'd get an announcement at the VGAs. Obviously, that didn't happen because now the VGAs have come and gone. But I, I think 2022 is a little early. Maybe they originally were planning for that date, but I think it slips into 2023 for sure. But exciting. It seems like we're closer 
uh, that we may be thought to learning more about this game. Uh, next up, VGC also reports that Crash Bandicoot uh, team Toys for Bob's could be hiring a non-Call of Duty project hiring for a non-Call of Duty project, according to a career posting. The studio which developed Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, Crash Bandicoot Forts About Time, and Skylanders franchise has recently been transitioned into a support studio for COD, but specifically the massively successful free-to-play Warzone mode. Well, however, the studio has listed several jobs on its career site for senior concept artists which do not list Call of Duty, instead labeling them for Toys for Bob. Other jobs specifically mention that the roles related to Call of Duty potentially suggest that the studio is working on something that isn't Call of Duty um, in addition to Call of Duty. Recently, Activision Blizzard, of course, confirmed that all of its core studios are now working on COD, with Toys, Toys for Bob confirmed in April that it would be supporting the development of Warzone because fuck happiness. Next, VGC reports that in an interview with Edge Magazine, head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, they asked him what he thought contributed to the industry from Xbox, and he and he said, other than Xbox Live and things like that, it actually Connect was one of the uh, was one of the big contributions. He, uh, he cites it as the second key contribution outside of Xbox Live, an answer that may prove surprising to some given the peripherals less than stellar reputation among Xbox fans. He says, quote, was motion control the way everyone should play games? I'd say the answer is no, in my view, but he said that before pointing out that Kinect and its games were important to changing Xbox's image. As he says, that Kinect was a catalyst for Xbox's future steps in making video games accessible to players with disabilities, citing very heartfelt emails from parents of children who couldn't play games before Kinect arrived. He said, I... I look at accessibility work that we've done, whether it's the adaptive controller or the software that we've done, and I think you can draw back to connect um, for as the uh, kind of catalyst for these things. So that's a really cool answer. I always I always have such a soft spot for connect. I know people hate it, but I think it's cool. I, I like when Xbox and, and Microsoft are being techie and innovative rather than just doing only what the fans want, which is just games, games, games. So I, I don't know. It's part of why I like Xbox One more than I think most people do, but whatever. Next up, VGC reports that Fortnite Chapter 3 has been revealed, and it's, it's got a new flipped island and new challenges and battle pass and Spider-Man's in it, and a new trailer's out, and you can see all that, and apparently people really like Spider-Man because the swinging mechanic's pretty good, which is pretty cool. But speaking of Fortnite, Eurogamer reports that Gears of Wars, Marcus Phoenix, and Kate Diaz are the latest characters to be uprooted from their usual homes into the metaverse nightmare of Fortnite. I don't think that dire, but that's how they wrote it. With both arriving in the free-to-play Battle Royale game, apparently they're available as of now. The really funny thing here is that Fortnite is made by Epic Games, who were the creators of Gears of War, but they sold the Gears of War franchise to Microsoft, but now those characters are making their way back into the current Epic Games video game, Fortnite, so I think that's just so funny. And then next up, a cloud-based MMO developed by Finland-based Mainframe is no longer planned as an Xbox exclusive. It has been claimed. We talked about this game maybe a month or two ago. Speaking of Games Beat uh, Decides podcast, Jeff Grubb, who previously reported to VentureBeat that the game would be primarily uh, run off of a remote server, said that he believes the game is no longer being published by Microsoft, saying that the developer raised $23 million not from Microsoft as part of a deal. From my understanding, they backed off the agreement and potential agreement with Microsoft as the studio will probably come out as a multi-platform game going forward. Next up, Windows Central reports that Sirius Sam 4 has made its way to PC and Google Stadia in 2020, but exclusively was on those platforms until uh, in, in away from uh, consoles until recently. Developer Crow Team previously confirmed that plans for the console debut in 2021 with the game now making a surprise appearance on Game Pass. So it's currently available on PC, Xbox Series S and X consoles. Oh, shut up, Google. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my podcast. It's currently available now on consoles and, and, and PC with... No indication on Xbox One, but hey, if you have a Series X or S, you can play it now. Next, The Verge 
reports that Destiny 2, or Bungie rather, is celebrating the 30th anniversary of Destiny 2 with big content drops like Halo lookalike guns. A trailer for the 30th anniversary content shows off all the new content. It looks kind of like a Halo 2 battle rifle, Halo, Halo Magnum and uh, all that shit, so that's a pretty cool little ode to the past there. And then finally, Hazelight, the team behind It Takes Two, was forced uh, to abandon its trademark application for their game It Takes Two, which is just one game of the year, because publisher Take-Two has uh, been dicks. The critically acclaimed game, which tells stories of a husband and a wife who are seemingly uh, headed for a divorce, is the latest co-op adventure from Brothers of Tale Two Sons and a Way Out director Joseph Faris. It, it, uh, it emerged this week that Take-Two has hit a trademark claim from Grand Theft Auto parent company Take-Two prior to its release for consoles and PC in March of 2021. Following the claim, Hazelite had to abandon its trademark application for the game, a filing with the U.S. Patent Office shows. So uh, all I gotta say to that is, fuck you, Take-Two. You don't have to be dicks about that, but you, but here you are. Now, guys, normally we'd wrap up with Games of Gold and the new game announcements of the week and Power Your Dreams, but guys, it has been a fucking long week. We're over three hours. Once I edit it down, it might just be under three hours, but a little bit, but it's going to be a chunky podcast, and I got a lot of editing to do, and I want to get this thing out to you guys because it's already running a little late, and I don't like doing that to you, but there we are, guys. Halo Infinite is out. Go play Halo Infinite. Um, the Game Awards happened. Fuck yeah, Sonic Frontiers and Crossfire X. Uh, Ubisoft, literally go suck a dick. I don't care how offensive that is. I don't care who likes NFTs. Ubisoft, you suck dick right now. And other than that, it's another satisfying week of Xbox news. We will be back to our normal schedule Thursday, 9 a.m. starting next week. And guys, we will talk at the end of next week's episode about spoilers for Halo Infinite. We'll talk about the campaign, the story beats, more in detail about what I thought about the game. I want to hear what you guys thought about the game. So please let me know in the comments all your thoughts and feelings on Halo Infinite. Go back to playing the game, guys. Quit your jobs. Quit your families. Play Halo Infinite is all you should be doing. And until next week, power your dreams.
lose control This is what happens We're all contagious in this world This is what happens We lose control This is what happens It's all contagious in this world This is what happens We lose control